Episode number 15, I am the great shitster, Dan Carey. Oh yeah, did you guys not hear that? That's my. That's <laughs> what's happening, Daniel Sam. <laughs> that's my new, uh, that's, my, that's my new gamer handle. Is it shitster? Shitster, <laughs> shitster 2.0? I'm going to start a, 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 what are those, what are those things called? The Instagrams and the, and the uh, you guys know. You're going to have a Twitch stream? <laughs> no, no, no. Shitario! Oh, the, the swipe Grindr. right, swipe left. Dance an e girl. Oh shit. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Nothing now. Who's all here? Compares to that. Who's all here? Yeah. Who's here? Who's here? Everybody. Everybody? Who's it? I'm here? not. Devin. Robert is present. Robert? Who's Robert? Berto. Roberto. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Devin. Yeah. Scott. Present. Nick. Yeah. And Roberto. And Balake. Hello, Aaron. Aaron. D nice. <laughs> Love it. So what's going on, guys? Anything new and exciting happen? Happy uh post Thanksgiving. Oh yeah. yeah! Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you dude. get your fill of turkey? Dude, I, I had more than enough, and all the tryptophan that I could want. <laughs> Did you sleep for for twenty hours? Dude, yeah, for sure. Nice. It was, it was I totally feel like worth I got it. gypped out. Mine. Well, like ever how'd since you I, get gypped out. Ever since I had a kid, like we sit down for Thanksgiving dinner. And then it's like a rush panic to try and eat as much as I can before the kid decides they're not happy in their seat and they want to go do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Put them at the kid table. See, (laughs) he's too young for that. He's, I don't know, man, but it was better this year. He ate some, he enjoyed a little bit. He lasted about 10 minutes. Nice. Hey, there you go. Yeah. I got like half a plate of food and then it was on. Yeah. You just see Scott shoveling stuff with his hands. Just like, (laughs) give me a minute. Give me a minute. I'm gonna need more to water this shit down. Hey, that <laughs> little boy should give thanks, man. Because if it was pilgrim times, he probably wouldn't last the winter if he didn't eat that food, man. Shit. <laughs> that's dark. Jeez, that's that real dark. Really, yeah. Holy shit! Thanks for bringing it down, Rob. <laughs> thanks for bringing yeah. it down. Can always count on you. Hey. Yeah. So he ate some bird, at least, right? <laughs> he did, and he survived, and he's still alive because you didn't you circle go. the wagons. So I want to ask Perfect. you guys because I don't know, Devin, you. I don't know how long it's been since you... I don't know. Are, were there young kids at your Thanksgiving, Devin? Uh, no, we were all okay. older. I know there probably were with you, Rob. Did you guys have any young kids there? And by young, I mean, um, you know, 10? Not super young. Like, yeah, like two of them were under 10. One was like eight and one was six. So I, so, but they behave themselves. I saw something that 
I, I just, uh, was, I don't know. I, I guess it kind of reminded me of when I was a kid. Cause I think I remember doing this, but, uh, maybe you guys have experienced this, but that kid, and there's always one at a Thanksgiving dinner who can't have any food touching the other types of food on the plate. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like Nick and fucking the non-mixer kids. Yeah. yeah. Almost have to get them one of those like old cafeteria type trays. <laughs> they need the prison separated. tray. That's just, that's funny to me. There was one at, at our Thanksgiving dinner. It's kind of cute. Hey man, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, so you still do that. Do you Nick? <laughs> no, I, I don't care if they touch, but I don't mix foods. Like it's a fork of one thing. Meanwhile, I'm over here making a slushy out of all my food. Oh, I am food. too, dude. I'm like <laughs> a little bit of potatoes, some turkey, some gravy, all in one scoop. Oh, yeah, dude. Get that shit all mixed together. Wrap yeah. it in a falafel and <laughs> choke her down. Put it in a blender, make a puree out of it. There you go. <laughs> that's what happens when you get old, Devin. You have to eat shit that's liquid. Through a tube? Through a tube, sometimes. <laughs> it's been artificially <laughs> masticated already. <laughs> already chewed up. Oh damn! Artificially masticated sounds better. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds way better. It does sound way, and way grosser. I'm I'm assuming that Rob doesn't actually know what that word means. He read it somewhere. I'm sure of that. Who's yeah, Rob? He, he thinks he masticated this morning. <laughs> <laughs> that that wow. turned into lacerated. I did it wrong. <laughs> God, it keeps going so dark with you. It really does. Why'd you lacerate? So. <laughs> Just want to know. Um, Not coming. We're going to talk a little bit about what we did. I don't think any of us, and I don't know how how deep Nick wants to go into his his uh, Thanksgiving experience, but none of us would be able to top it. I'm sure of that. <laughs> so we're going to save Nick's for last. Yeah, I mean, he may not want to share it, and if that's you know that's totally up to him. Well, uh, we'll I, I think we kind of should like you know get it down on paper, like for an official record. You, you, yeah. It's like this really happened. It'll be like so that. So if my wife ever listens to this show, she's going to be like, what the? F- <laughs> it's a great story. Can't <laughs> wait to hear it again. It's fantastic. In a very not good way, by the way. I didn't. Not poking fun. Totally serious. But anyway, let's move on. We'll let you think about how in-depth you want to go with that topic while we are going over what everybody else did for Thanksgiving. Any flying? Anybody who wants to go first? All right. I got this. Whew. So, yeah, I actually did go flying on Saturday. I flew the Nick Maxwell Edition Gasser. Got it all done. Ooh. Flew it. It flies great. Nice. Yep. Super happy with it. My dad even did some flying with it. I handed it to him. I'm like, fly this. It flies really good. And he Did the Nitro like, make the signatures? Smear off? No, no, no. The Sharpie does that. Oh, yeah. They're still engraved, aren't they? Yeah, they're in, they're engraved, I'm pretty sure, and after the they do the anodizing. Right. But, nope, that's all I brought to the field was the gasser because I wanted to focus on that, get that done before the end of the season. And that basically wind, winds up the uh, heli side of it for the uh weekend the rest was just thanksgiving with the family and just chilling out and enjoying thanksgiving so Devin, you do understand the concept of a podcast 
Yes. You do understand that, you know, we're, we're essentially, we're storytellers. Yeah. 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 Okay. We, we say words related to helis and, you know, other interesting things, but yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, as long as that concept's not lost on you, I'm good. No, I've, sometimes I'm just not that interesting. You what know, can I say? Like, amen. Brother. Like Dan in the back of Dan in the back of your mind, you're like, oh my god, so boring. This kid. That sounded like it was in the front of his yeah, mind. Actually, it was right there. <laughs> oh, perfect on the tip of your tongue. Like, eh? You wouldn't have needed an X-ray to yeah. actually see that. It's right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, I wish. I mean, I did finish the trailer too. That got done this last week. It, all the new leaf spring brackets are on and mounted, and it's sitting on it, its own tires again. So that's always good. That was nice. fun to do. Welding with a one ten welder on and like an I beam was fun, but it got done. <laughs> I bet that took forever. Oh, it was painful. And then you're trying to turn up the wire speed, and it kinks inside the. Inside the actual welder because you lose the ground because you're welding on like eight-year-old steel that's all rusted over that you tried to clean off, but you couldn't really get it. So Scott is rubbing the tip on there to try to get it better. (laughs) Oh my God, Devin. I feel like you're just, you're you're digging deep. I can appreciate the effort. Well, I researched trailer insurance policies after I heard about Devin's one millimeter deep weld penetration. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Wait, the amperage was up all the way give me credit <laughs> yeah all the way on 110 like get out of here no it was good <laughs> enough it was I fine i just want to hear devin's one millimeter penetration one more time <laughs> one Aren't millimeter penetration during artificial mastication oh, sorry. yeah nick i thought you were the nice one <laughs> sorry oh god god damn oh. i wouldn't i i expect it out of scott but nick that really hurts Real, no. oh, you got him right in the feels, Nick. Yeah. yeah. Nicked his feelings. <laughs> Poor guy. Oh. All right. Um, I hate to say it. I've got another no fly. No fly. No fly. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> Why? Do we need to talk to you, said. Scott, about stories and that we're storytellers? <laughs> I no, I am telling a story. I'm just not there yet. So oh, I don't know okay. if you guys want to hear it or not, oh, yeah. but we definitely I, I, want to hear it. Kind of. I played with some cars and that's kind of, you know, maybe a winter hobby kind of sure. thing. Let's hear it. So local track. I talked about it last week, week before. Um, found a cool little indoor carpet track. They do some on-road, some off-road stuff. So I was like, oh, maybe we'll try that out. See what it's about. Told Eric. Eric was interested too. And you all know Eric. He's a damn good time. So I'm like, well, maybe we could drop by one of their races. They had like a turkey day race thing. So Eric, me, and um, Daniel Pridgent showed up, and we had a blast, dude. We put an RC car through the roof. Um, <laughs> we got one of them stuck behind a wall ride. Um, it They're was never going to let you back in there, dude. <laughs> no, they were they were having a great old time because like some people are super serious about it, and then other people are just kind of having fun. But damn, we just went in to have a good time, like. At one of the races, Eric was so late to the race that he was the last person doing like a, uh, you do like one lap to set the name and everything on the, the uh, little transponder thing. Yeah. 
So he goes around and we're like yelling at him, like, don't hit anything. Everyone's watching. Be super careful kind of thing. Cause it's like no pressure. And then he finishes it. He's like, man, it was a clean lap, but I got to like set the tone. So he just nails the wall right at the end. And everybody's like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> oh, it was so funny. So we just proceeded to goof off and not take it seriously. But dude, it was fun. I like, I, I'm not going to lie. I was being a little bit of an elitist for many years about cars. And I was like, oh, that's easy. Like anybody can do that. It's two dimensional. Big deal. Yeah. That shit's fun. It's <laughs> fun. It's fun. I had it's not such as easy a blast. as you think. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to drive, but it's not easy to get fast, consistent lap times. Right. And dude, yeah. I was just geeking out over that, like working on the car, trying to get it to handle the way I want, trying to get my lap types down. And I saw the lap times dropping. Like I started at the beginning around like 15 seconds a lap. And then I was getting around nine and a half second laps after that. And the fastest guys were at about 8.6. Nice. So I'm still not there, but dude, it's fun chopping off that much time initially. And now I'm working on trying to get to where they're at. So it's definitely going to be like a, a winter obsession. I'm not leaving helis. I'm not, not doing that. Like helis are my life, but I'm going to get distracted a little bit and really enjoy this. Yeah. And I'm it's perfect timing. Warm. Yeah, exactly. It's all indoors. So I don't have to freeze my balls off, but. I, I figure what I'm doing is I'm pulling all my Neos off my helicopters for now, except one. And I'm just going to kind of wait till the new Evo comes out because I want to try and test that and learn about it because I love learning new things. I was, uh, we, I used to do that. We used to race in parking lots. I mentioned it. And uh, a buddy of mine in Montana, we would find new developments to practice on where they had just paved, you know, nice fresh pavement oh, yeah. and no houses. That's a good idea. Well, I had a, I think it was like a Traxxas TC3 is what I was trying to search for in my brain when I mentioned it the other day. It's team, team associated TC3. Is it TC, what was, what's the Traxxas one? The, the, maybe it was a team uh, associated. Anyway, I think it was a TC3. So it might, it might be a yeah. team associated. Sure. I don't remember. It's been a long time, but it's a four wheel drive, uh, stock car and fast as hell, like super, super fast, three speed transmission, all that shit. Right. Yeah. And uh, we were at like a T intersection where two you know, a road merged and I was coming towards the T and there's fresh, freshly minted cement curbs. <laughs> and um, yeah. I, these things have a top speed of 50, 60 miles an hour. Right. And um, my throttle stuck and I was headed straight for that curb. And, and of course I hit it at full throttle and it went, 50 feet in the air and came down to the ground. It was like bent in a 90 degree. And my mother looked at me and said, why did you do that? And I looked at him, do you seriously fucking think I meant to do that? Now, now wait, Dan, did the throttle stick or did your vapor lock? Is that what happened? No, no, no. It, what was it? The intrusive thoughts. No, I, it, yeah. I, couldn't, I was trying to stop. But I was like, even going, stop, stop. No, it, it just wouldn't. I didn't, I didn't have a return spring on it. This is the problem. God, that's awesome. Yeah, I totally destroyed it. It was brand new and uh, it was fun. But the, the you know, the strange, the, just the way my buddy, like, he looked at me like with disgust. Like, <laughs> what? You know, like yeah. he's like, why did you do that? I'm like, dude, dude you, I didn't that. No, I didn't mean to do that. Trust me. But anyway. You know, that right there is why I am 100% against throttle return springs. You want that would be such a boring ass story if it was like, yeah, the battery died and it went and stopped and nothing bad happened. <laughs> no good story has ever come from a throttle return spring. 
But bet your ass you heard about a chicken dance or a tacoed RC car well, flying 60 feet in the air. It's actually not the first time that happened. To, well, it wasn't the only time, I guess. We were running, uh, I, uh, whatever, the uh, T-Max stock Traxxas tracks, uh, trucks at a BMX track. And yeah. I was coming around and, again, Nitro. The uh, throttle stuck and it, but it, it got stuck in a really slow speed. So, but it was just fast enough. I couldn't catch it. And I'm running behind it. <laughs> it, went, it went right out into the road and this car comes along flat as a pancake. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, sucky. I was like, the guy, no damage to the car. The guy was like, shit, sorry, dude. And I'm like, yeah, that's all right. It'd have been funny to watch you jogging behind that thing, just barely able to not touch it for like a block. Just come on. Oh, That's totally the way it was, dude. I'm like, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm running behind it. Trying to kick it, throw I your just, shoe at just it. Just out of my reach. Just out of my reach. Oh. And, then, and then it kind of started speeding up and that, then it was all gone from there. That is funny. so funny. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. I actually, I'm kind of thinking about that because here locally, we have something very similar. Um, it's actually pretty popular in this area there's a few indoor tracks yeah i mean it's good cheap fun i mean it's not cheap per se right. but compared to helicopters and yeah it's way cheaper than helicopters well what i crashed like 700 times that day and i didn't spend a dollar my big thing is i just don't want to hang out in the cold weather i'd rather go inside and have fun that's what i'm finding. oh yeah that's why yeah. indoor yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so anyway that's cool. No, that's uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw you. I saw some pictures of that car, so that's uh, that's exciting. It's my pop tire. I do. I still want to get one of those big Bahas. H or uh, is it uh, HPI Baja? Can't remember. Yeah, uh, the fifth scale ones, yeah, dude. dude. I'd, I'd like to get one of them suckers, yeah. man. My buddy's still selling his. I want He's an electric friend. one, though, dude. It is electric. I don't want an electric one. Oh, you want a oh. gas one? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. He can't beat the the brap brap, and it keeps Nick wisdom away. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. All right, who's next, Rob? Dan, I'll go next. Yes, okay. I'll try and segue this uh, this storytelling you'll, time back you'll up bring from us the ground back into, into the heli centric talk. Well, so. I got some heli time in this week too, um, amidst the whole Thanksgiving shenanigans. Uh, I penned, we had to append our Thanksgiving to Sunday. So um, I flew on Thanksgiving while everybody else was making food and shit, but at doing their other things. But um, talking about on the ground stuff though, I've decided that I want to um, dabble in playing around with Flatland with one of my helicopters, one of my small ones. So I was playing around at my dining room table with my trashy little MCPX and it was at the end of my pack. I had just been doing circuits in the living room, right? And so I land on the table and, uh, you know, you see videos, people sitting down, they'll play around on the ground. And so I'm just doing that and just coasting around, tipping it up on one skid and just trying to get it to stay there and do pirouettes on one little corner and stuff. And I'm like, this is neat. You know, so I, <laughs> I decided I'm going to, I'm going to put shorter blades on the Oxy too. So I put, um, cause it's stretched to the 210 length. Right. Um, so, but I, there's in this bag, there's a set of the shorter, what are they like one nineties or one eighty? I don't know what they are. They're shorter. They're like 20 millimeters shorter. So whatever that is, I don't know, one forty, 
150. Anyway, the point is the blades are short enough where now I, if I tip forward, I can put the heli on the skids and then the nose of the canopy and the disc won't hit the ground. And so now I haven't tried it with this one yet, but now that I set it up like that, um, I'm going to practice doing flat land in my basement just because it's something else to do, you know, to play with the helicopter. Um, so yeah, it, it was kind of fun doing that, you know, so, um, uh, I don't know. We'll see if I break the break my oxy two or not. But just playing around, landing and stuff here and there, I'll, I practiced it on there, and uh, it seems to hold. It. I've noticed though, and maybe this has to do with. Um, maybe you guys can tell me more about this with the some of these newer, the newer uh, flight controllers. But it seems to me like sometimes I'll watch people do that. They'll do a little try and do something stylish on the ground, and they'll tip it over. Tariq Al Saudi, I see him doing that all the time. Um, but it seems to me like you'll tip it up and get it on like one skid or something and you can let go of the stick and the, the, um, the gyros that hold the disc there for you. And so I tried that with the Oxy 2 and it got up on the corner and it would just slowly kind of like uh, if you had the gain turned down too low, it would just slowly go and just plop down on the skids all the way. So that's kind of a weird like unintended use for the flight controllers, right? And I'm going to see if fucking with the gain will get it to where I can get it up on the side and just make it sit there. So, um, yeah, so that's some weird-ass nerdy uh, yeah. thing I figured out that I decided I want to try to do with my helis this winter. Um, I got some in-the-air flights, though, <laughs> with the helis, too. Took the Goblin uh, out, the 570 out, and the T-Rex 600 out uh, a few times this week, um, doing some big air flights and just getting some stick time in, right? Um, I found this spot that's got a big open asphalt, like you guys were talking about open developments or whatever. This is like an end cul-de-sac and um, a whole bunch of open fields at the end of this cul-de-sac. And so I, I can take off from there and fly over the fields. They still have some snow on the fields and stuff or whatever, but the asphalt is clear, so it's a good landing spot. Um, so I was flying. Uh, I had this hat cam that I had set up from way back when, and I broke that out. So I thought I'd try recording some flights, right? Because why not, you know? But I noticed this weird, uh, this weird thing I forgot existed where when I put the hat cam on and I hit the record button, the flight is different than if I, even if I have the hat cam on my head and I don't actually hit the button to be recording, if I'm consciously aware that I'm recording the flight, I just, I don't know. I feel like it doesn't, it's not the same. I don't feel locked in. And that's something, maybe that's that performance anxiety. You know, we talked about a couple episodes back, you know, about going to fun flies and flying in front of people. I don't know. So I think maybe that's what that is with that. So I'm just going to spend some more time with the hat cam on and maybe I'll get more comfortable with it. And I could just fly, just be myself flying around with it on, you know. Um, but it was fun just to put all my nerdy stuff on all at once and go try and fly, you know. I've got another camera. I thought about doing a stick cam too, just to see, but it's not like my skills are good enough to learn from it, but it's still fun to do. Hey Rob, I think someone's knocking on your door. You should answer. Oh yeah. That's yeah, the guy that I've hired to come cut your fucking fingers off. <laughs> or fiddling with whatever oh, yeah. you're fiddling with. Oh shit. <laughs> I didn't realize I was fiddling with anything. So anyway, that's, that was my week. That's what I got for you. A little flatland heli flying, a little in the air heli flying, and apparently fiddling with my fingers yeah. during a podcast. You're going to miss those. 
Yeah. How was your I, uh, turkey dinner? Good? Dude, it was, it was pretty good. You know, I'm, I turned 45. Actually, it was my birthday on the 20th, too. That's, oh. that's another thing that happened this week. I guess we knew I guess that. I should say, hey, yeah, so now I'm 45. Uh, it's my first Thanksgiving I actually hosted at my own house and actually ran the whole thing. Um, it's taken this long to get there, but I'm there. And I fucking knocked it out of the park, dude. It was fucking great. Big 15-pound turkey, fucking potatoes, cheesy hash browns. Uh, a bunch of people brought a whole bunch of other stuff, fucking biscuits and gravy and everything you could think of, you know? The extra leaves in the table, fucking 10 chairs all around the thing. And <laughs> me sitting at the nice. head of the table like, yeah, buddy, you know? Yeah, that's it cool. It was great. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yep. The quintessential Thanksgiving. It was it was perfect. Awesome. Well, I'm going to go next so we can let Nick tell us his story if he so chooses. Happy birthday, Rob. Thank you, sir. Yeah, 45, huh? I remember, yeah. I remember 45. Feels like a lifetime ago. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Rob. So I, um, I did get some flying in. Well, I got about 30 seconds of flying in on the Logo 200. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Duh. Did you tank it? No, I didn't. It was just, uh, it, it, well, Sunday we, or Saturday, I guess, was the nice day. It, it was, I mean, nice looking day, I guess. Cold and right. windy. From inside the window, you're like, yeah, let's go flying now. <laughs> well, no, actually, the, the idea was to take uh, the e-bikes that we bought before I broke my ankle out. Yeah. And bring the, the 200 along with. Right, and stop somewhere and and maybe get a flight in here and there. Right, right. So first of all, the bike ride was quite amazing. Those e-bikes are awesome. If you're kind of on the fence, anyone listening, uh, they're obviously uh, it just it makes it so enjoyable. You you can work it if you want, or you can just relax and enjoy the ride. Right. I'm going to set my balls on fire, is it? No. I, well, I, I suppose it could. I suppose okay, I've could. seen the pictures sure. of some of them fucking yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. Um, 17 miles uh, on local... Uh, I was actually quite surprised. I, you know, I'm not really into that. But they have a very extensive system, and I suppose most places do, and I've just never looked into it, but... Uh, of trails that just go from one place to the next, you know, just out past farmer's fields and yeah, yeah. Know, backside of town into from park to park. It was quite enjoyable. Very nice out, but it was very, very windy. So I took that, um, 200 and, and, um, I don't know, 15 up to 20 mile an hour. I mean, it was getting bad. So I didn't really get to fly it because I put it in the air and I was like, holy shit. Dude, this <laughs> basically surfed it in the air like a little kite. And I was then, like, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna. So I landed it, decided to save it for another day. So that was really about it. So hopefully I can, you know, the, I guess the thing that's really bothering me, it's not really bothering me, it's just a fact of life this time of year, especially up north, is, is it's just dark so fucking early, right? Yeah. Um, leave in the morning, get back. Hell, even if you can get out, out of the office early, it, you know, 4.30 rolls around, it's starting to get dark out, 5 o'clock. So, I think it's going to have to wait weekends. I'm not digging the cold, and I don't know what it is, because it's not nearly as cold here as it is in Montana, but for whatever reason, I just, 
I just, I'm not hacking it. Like it, it's really getting tough for me to, to deal with cold and the ankle especially doesn't really hurt anymore. But I, I swear to God, I can feel the cold in those screws in my ankle. Yeah, I bet. It's like a wet cold. Yeah. It's different, man. And it just, like, I keep telling it kind of grosses Elaine out. I'm like, I, I feel like I can feel the screw heads on my bone in my ankle. And I don't know if I can, but it just, yeah. you know, it's, um, I just don't, I'm just not, I'm not feeling the cold at all. Oh, you was. I know, right? No, I feel you. Totally. Man. I don't like it either, dude. Totally. And then um, had a little bit of an issue, not Haley Direct's fault at all. Our great and awesome U.S. Postal Service had a package that was supposed to arrive on the 17th, never showed up. And then, of course, it was stuck in Philadelphia for three days. And then the next day it was in Springfield, Massachusetts. I don't really get that. But uh, Friday... It finally, like it was in Springfield on Thursday, but Friday morning it miraculously appeared at my doorstep. Well, Friday, you know, oh. mid morning. So I was able to get a little bit further, ended up getting uh, some parts that I needed to uh, get the Kraken going again. I was waiting for a pinion um, to get that rolling. So the Kraken build continues. Haven't touched the Soxos and haven't really kind of touched the 580 Nitro, but I still need some parts for that. Waiting on the RC Japan order to come in. Which it Oh, yeah. It's probably still on the water. <laughs> well, it hasn't huh? even shipped yet. Oh, dang. I guess they're waiting. First, it was a two-day wait. Then it was a week wait for the muffler pipe. And then now it's a month. So... Holy moly. Well, I changed to a different, a different pipe. So they happen to have that one. So they tell me it's going to be a week before it can ship. So which that means they don't really have it. They're waiting for it to show up, I guess. We'll see. No right. no, no news on that, but basically just a motor and a pipe coming and everything else is ready to go. And slowly gathering uh, components to get the Soxos built. And uh, waiting for some decent weather to go flying. Had a great yeah, family get-together in-law side of the family obviously my wife's aunts and uncles and tons of other people who i didn't know <laughs> at, at a <laughs> at a place there uh, at my wife's aunt's place it was a nice nice dinner they they kind of do traditional pennsylvania dutch cooking here i don't know what that is i don't either and i don't really care for it a lot <laughs> Lots of lima like beans. Oh. Lots of lima beans oh. and and um, sugar in everything. Now there's something you know. I I don't mind sugar, but uh, I like pickled eggs. You guys ever have pickled eggs? No, they're fantastic unless you put sugar in them. Macaroni salad. It's fantastic unless you put sugar in them it, and sugar and all that stuff that doesn't necessarily need to have sugar. That's gross. It is kind of gross. Not going to lie. Yuck. But um, a lot of beets, lima beans, that kind of shit. So, but of course, the traditional turkey and all the fixings. It was nice. Yeah. It was nice. The big ass spread. That's cool. Yeah. Two, two big ass tables. There must have been, I don't know, there must have been 20 people there. I, you know, a lot. Uh, it was nice. 
And then um, back to work. That's really about it. Kind of boring. Word. Nick. Yeah. Wow us with a story. Do you have a story to tell, oh. Nick? I, tell I us do. about the beaches. I feel like somebody should talk about a helicopter first for a minute. Who? I uh, did. I just <laughs> did, dude. <laughs> Barely. Uh, in between reviews of macaroni salad. That's right. Um, Shitty macaroni salad at that. So, uh, I had a great, uh, Thanksgiving week. Um, one of the reasons my wife and I get along so well is that basically every other year we kind of say, screw family, let's go do something fun. Uh, so we went to Belize, uh, to San Pedro specifically, um, an island off the coast of Belize uh, for Thanksgiving, which was awesome. And that's where the interesting story happened. But, uh, I'll start with the heli stuff first. So we got back from Belize on Saturday uh, we almost didn't. That's another part of the story. <laughs> um, but, uh, we got back on Saturday and I, you know, was catching up on the Atlanta heli chat and I'm like, Oh, everybody's going flying Sunday. All right. And, uh, right after that, my wife says, Oh, I'm going to go out with my girlfriends on Sunday afternoon. I was like, awesome. I'm going flying in the morning. So, uh, met up with all the boys on Sunday. Um, it was a really breezy day, uh, solid 15 mile an hour winds, uh, with gusts above that. Uh, which was awesome because there were zero plankers at the field. Um, and it was just, what, three, four of us, something like that. Uh, and it was a ball. It was really challenging to fly. I don't often fly in 15 mile an hour winds. It's not that I avoid flying in it. It just hasn't happened a ton, like 10 mile an hour all yeah. the time here. Right. But 15 or steady 15 is, is a little bit rare here. So uh, it was interesting. So I started with the Puma, um, which I knew would not be ideal. Um but I flew that first, uh, knowing it's the lighter heli and to kind of get that out of the way. But all, so all my helis are geared for lower head speed, which, you know, you'll end up hearing from me a lot throughout this podcast. But the highest my Puma goes is 1750. So uh, and that with only one 6S packing, it's just not all that heavy. So that helicopter was hysterical. Like there's a point where you realize like you're not really going to have a productive flying session, but you're going to laugh your ass off and you're going to have a ball. And you would like push it like the wind was going left to right. So you would, you know, lead it out to your left and then you would start a backflip. And man, as soon as the disc was to the wind, <laughs> it would just launch past you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, a backflip was like a yeah, hundred feet sure. long. It was hysterical. And then you would push back into the wind and do some stupid, like you would try and do a, like if you wanted to do a stall turn into the wind, you would have like, I don't know, half negative pitch yeah, or something just to keep it at, steady at the yeah. top, just to try it and have it not drift back towards you. Um, and my brain like can barely handle regular 3d maneuvers. So let alone like trying to think about like, all right, so now in a stall turn, I need negative pitch to keep it from doing that. I'm like, I'm just trying to keep things in calculus so, here. Yeah. Shit. So we were just laughing our, 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 our asses off, honestly. Um, but I did bring the three blade raw, which I really have only gotten a few flights on at this point. And that thing was amazing in the wind. It was so much fun. Um, that one is also tops out at 1750 uh, RPM, but it's much heavier and in the wind, it just did much better. And with the three blades, 1750 gets you a little more, you know. Um, so that helicopter was a ton of fun. And it was really funny because, you know, all the guys I fly with know I only ever fly lower head speed. And all I can hear behind me is, holy shit, that's the fastest Nick has ever flown in his life. <laughs> <laughs> Going speed racer in the wind. And then other shenanigans. Uh, so I don't know. It was just good to see everybody. Good to fly again. Um, you get out. So I don't get a no fly. I've also been working on a couple little secret squirrel projects for Heli Direct. Um, 
checking out some new potential models and prototypes. And that's been interesting um, to say the least, but can't talk about that much yet, but that's been kind of fun. I played with that today um, just in the driveway. Uh, but anyway, so that's all the heli stuff going on. I did make some Black Friday purchases. I didn't hear anyone else no, talk about anything. So did anybody else buy anything no. on Black Friday? No, no, I did. All right. Well, I tell you what, we're going to touch on Black Friday in the news, so we'll save it for then. Um, but uh, I did make some of those. Um, and all right, so let's get back to the story. So, um, in Belize, uh, which is kind of like a, I don't know if it quite qualifies as third world country, but it's close. Um, you know. Uh, it's an interesting experience there. You know, it's, it's, it's a island driven by tourism and then there's really no other income stream there. Um, you know, it's all dive and snorkeling tourism basically. Um, so it's an interesting place and the roads are really tiny there. So 95% of the vehicles on the road are golf carts. Uh, so we rented a golf cart for the week. Um, and we've been traveling to Oceanside locations with my family, uh, for a long time. So we always rent golf carts when we go, like we'll go to Seaside on the Florida coast and everybody drives golf carts there. So whenever that happens, my eight-year-old son who loves to drive anything and everything, uh, we take him on a back road and you sit him in your lap on the golf cart and he does the pedals, the brake and the gas and steers. And we're just there as a safety, but we keep our hands on the wheel. Our feet are right on either side of both pedals. You know, we can take over at any minute. And he's really good at like when something gets stupid, he knows mom and dad are going to take over and he's not going to fight us. And and it goes really well. He has a ball. Uh, It's never been a problem. We've done it for, I don't know, three, four years now. <clears throat> so in Belize, um, I forget, it was kind of a rainy afternoon and I was getting some stuff ready for later. And my wife's like, oh, I'm going to take the kids. We're going to go souvenir shopping. I was like, all right, cool. Have fun. Uh, I'm like, sweet. I get to enjoy some peace and quiet. So they go. And about an hour and a half later, uh, I hear it first. I hear my two children screaming as they come up the stairs, like hysterical tears. And I'm like, oh boy, something bad happened. And then I open the door and there's my two children who like run into my arms, screaming and crying and like shouting in, you know, incoherent, ununderstandable thing. And my wife followed by two uh, local policemen. Oh shit. I'm I'm going, uh, what the hell's happening? And my wife looks at me in this very serious way and says, I'm being arrested I need you to take the children. Oh, <laughs> I was, oh no. I was, like, I was like, what? And she's like, I don't have much time. I need you to listen. I'm like, okay. I don't have a she's lot of like, time. They're going to take me away. She's like, we're in the golf cart. Flint was driving. We're on a back road. Apparently, that's not okay. And they're arresting me. They're taking me to the station. I need you to take the children. I'm probably going to be, you know, kept overnight from what I can understand so far. I kept over. I'm like, they're going to throw my wife in jail on vacation. Oh, what? Holy crap. <laughs> That's crazy. This is all funny now. At the time, none of this was funny for the record. But, and then the policemen are like, okay, we have to go. Um, and apparently when they had pulled her over and told her that she was being arrested, you know, she basically begged and pleaded uh, for the ability to drop the kids off back at the condo with me. And, and the police graciously allowed that to happen. Cause otherwise they would have taken the police, the kids to the station oh, man. and then, God knows what kind of foster care, who knows what sort of child services situation they would have been in. Uh, and the kids would have certainly lost their minds being separated from mom and dad. So, uh, so my wife leaves and the kids basically just go into hysterics and they're freaking out and they're going, 
are we ever going to see mom again? Is she going to die in jail? Is, you know, uh, is she gone oh, forever? No. Are they taking her away for? And they were serious. Like they were petrified. They were never going to see mom again. And they're in hysterics. Meanwhile, like I've had 30 seconds to process this situation before the door closed and my wife is gone and I have two hysterical children. <laughs> right. And you were just chilling right before that. And, and yeah. So I'm just literally like, just like, holy crap. Now what am I going to do? So whatever. Tried to calm the kids down. Um, my son, who was adorable in the situation, freaked out. And in his little mind as an eight-year-old, he was like, I know how to manage this. And he runs into his room and he throws his clothes off, pulls on his pajamas, runs to the couch and pulls a blanket over his head. And I was like, oh my God, that's the sweetest thing ever. But anyway, so I start thinking about, well, what the heck am I going to do? Um, and I'm like, I tell you what, I look at my watch. I'm like, I'm going to give this an hour. And in the hour, I'm going to do a little research, figure out, you know, what I can do. And I'm going to go down to the station in an hour. Hopefully enough has happened where I can get kind of an update on what the situation is. And I'm just going to have to bring my screaming children to the police station. And maybe that'll help, honestly. Uh, so <laughs> I start doing some research on my phone, and I'm, you know, because we got Wi-Fi there. And I'm looking up various arrests the police have done. And, you know, there's a history of them pulling over tourists. Um like they had a mask mandate, you know, a year ago or so, and they were fining tourists for not wearing masks. And it was basically a money-making scheme. So I'm like, all right, we got a bunch of cash because not oh, a lot no. of places take credit cards there. So I'm like, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to go down to the station with a bunch of cash in my pocket to pay a quote-unquote fine. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm going to see if I can buy my wife out of jail without getting arrested for bribery. Um, so that was my plan. And, I, you know, I did, the more research I did about the police on the island, the more that plan seemed like it might actually work. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I try to calm the kids. They finally, like, I basically almost sobbed themselves to, I don't know, I wouldn't call it sleep, but close to it. Um, and at 50 minutes, I was like, all right, kids, we need to get shoes on and get ready. We're going to go down to the police station. And, and they're kind of losing their mind again. And literally, as I'm trying to get shoes on the kids and everyone's crying and everyone's in hysterics, my wife opens the door and says, they let me go. Oh, oh man. lucky. Nice. And uh, that was amazing. And the kids cried. I might have cried. I don't know. It was really <laughs> messed up. Like, it was this massive family hug, really yeah. emotional moment. And it was like, holy crap, mom got arrested uh, on vacation. Um, but yeah, the police, you know, were like, well, you're obviously, you know, a caring and loving mom and, you know, separating you from your children and the court's not in session for another week. And it just didn't make sense to keep you. So we're going to let you go. So no fine. They let her go. No actual arrest on record. Just a big scare. And then about an hour later, I was making weird prison sex jokes. So, you know, we all had a good time <laughs> with it. So, <laughs> so did just you, has to happen, right? did you book your tickets for next year to police? Uh, no, no. I, I, I mean, we would definitely go back. I wouldn't let that stop us. We would just be maybe a little more cautious, but, uh, amusingly we, uh, we took the ferry from the mainland to the Island on the first day. And then we were taking this little puddle jumper airplane, uh, to the main airport on the mainland on the way back as kind of another adventure. And my wife accidentally bought the tickets for the wrong day. So there was this big panic that we might not get to fly off the island that day. And like my son was like, we need to leave. I can't <laughs> stay here anymore. And there was more hysterics oh, and, man. and it, we ended up fixing it. But it was uh, it was quite the adventure. Yeah. It was a good week, though. Beautiful country. The snorkeling there is amazing. It's literally like swimming in an aquarium, like thousands of tropical fish everywhere you look. Sharks. I mean, rays. It was awesome. It's a beautiful place. Huh. That, Man, that was yeah, my adventure. That's a story of a lifetime there. Yeah. <laughs> you did. That's crazy. Holy shit, dude. Holy moly. Well, I'm glad it turned yeah. out well because it could have gone worse. 
Yeah, it, it could have gone. I mean, I don't know if it had been a week. I don't know what I have flown home with the kids and then gone back. I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Here's a real question. How much money were you willing to pay to get your wife back? Yeah, how big uh, was that wad you had in your pocket there? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually had some cash from when I'd gone to Europe that I never exchanged into European money in my backpack. I don't know. I had I don't know, about $1,200 in cash. I was willing to let go to get my wife back. <laughs> wow. Hopefully not having to go that far. And I literally was splitting it between pockets so I could pull out like a smaller wad initially. <laughs> you, <laughs> had uh, you, down, man. you had your hustle all worked out. This you know, in awesome. the back of your head, part of you is like, oh, dang, now I don't get to try my hustle. My wife walked in the door. It's picked already. <laughs> Shit. Nick's like, there goes my great idea. <sighs> well, like, there goes my heli money. Oh, yeah. No um, kidding. Now you can buy some shit. Well, that's uh, yeah. that's going to be a hard Thanksgiving story to um, outdo for a number of years. I'm pretty sure. Hopefully, anyway. That's a uh, yeah. I mean, like you said, funny now, but I could only imagine how. Oh, geez, and I mean, especially with the kids. I mean, one thing it would just been you and your wife there, you know, two adults, but dealing with the youngsters. Mm-mm. Man, that had to be seeing really. your children feel like they may never see their mom again is oh, a moment I hope to never repeat. I can only imagine. Awful. Oh, that's horrifying. But happy ending, yes, so it's all good. it all worked out. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Maybe we should go into some news. What do you guys think? But yeah. nobody nobody new new news. News. New news. 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 Sounds like a song from the 80s. I always like to wait, Rob, because there's usually this weird, like, trailing grunt at the end that I enjoy hearing. have some news we got some big news and some little news and uh, a good mix of news here uh so as we record on cyber monday um i don't know why i hate that cyber monday is just weird i forgot um, what it is today yeah but anyway uh the holiday sale season black friday you know most retailers ran sales friday through monday uh, or thursday through monday uh, so hopefully you got some good deals, uh, or maybe you're going to wait till you know after Cyber Monday and uh, you know support your retailers uh, afterwards as well. Did anybody here get anything good for Black Friday? Nope. I bought myself a birthday present. I got uh, Hobby Wing uh, 80 amp uh, speed controller coming for the T Rex 500. Uh, nice. Yes. Nice. And I got that bag that um, this little lipo bag. Um, I found this pulse bag on Heli Direct a couple of weeks ago. It's meant for three six-cell batteries, but I can lay four of these seven-cell batteries down instead of standing up vertical. I can lay them down kind of on top of each other and still Velcro it down. So I'm like, shit, I'm going to get one more of those because I have eight packs. So now I got two of those. They look like two little battery briefcases now. So that should nice. be coming and the speed controller. Um, except the only problem is the other thing I put in the order were three little one-cell uh, high volt batteries i had bought some of those for my whoop my last order and so i'm like i'll put three more in there and i'll have a, a eight total then um for my whoop and so i did that and i went i, I ordered all this stuff it must have been like late friday night saturday morning right um and i went this morning to go look at it and it my order says unfulfilled and i'm like why so i start clicking on each of the things to see was is something like out of stock now the batteries that i bought 
now the page is 404. It doesn't even exist at Heli Direct anymore. And so I don't know what that means. Like, did I order the last three or did they actually like stop carrying that and nobody updated the website and I purchased them? So I just let it sit and I'm going to check it tomorrow and see if it still says unfulfilled. And if it does, I'll call and be like, yo, just let's order me something else, you know, because there's a few other things I would have put in my cart instead, right? But I was yeah, just trying I mean, to get me over that. Unfulfilled just mark. means they haven't, they haven't pulled it off the shelf yet, so. Good. Uh, doesn't yeah, mean anything well, maybe bad. I'll get, maybe I'm the guy that's getting the last three of those little one cell batteries there. They were great for my whoop. It's not helis, but anyway, actually they were great on my little trashy MCPX too. So anyway, it sucks. Win, they win. don't carry them anymore. Yeah. yeah. Win-win. If I got the last three, that's great. And on that note, and not just heli direct, any retailer in the hobby, if you don't get your tracking information by what day is it today? Monday. So if you haven't gotten it by the end of the day today, just give all your favorite retailers one extra day. There's a huge surge, you know, during Black Friday sales. So it usually takes them a couple of days to catch back up. So yeah, there um, you go. Have lots of patience with your favorite folks and their customer service teams. What about the ones you don't like? Oh, well then just roast them, send them a box of shit. Slandering them without <laughs> ever calling them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, direct post to Get Facebook. Get on Facebook and write Vendor X sucks. <laughs> That's Pay how them it's done. Trident layers. Oh. All right. Anyway, uh, as far as me on Black Friday, I took advantage of getting some discounts at some other retailers. And I ordered a new canopy for the Logo 700 and a matching tail fin to go with it. And some VTX 717s because buying a Logo without those feels a little criminal. Mm -hmm. Um, I have other blades for it, but I'm like, I I couldn't do it. I I was like, no, it looks wrong. So, um, What color did you get for canopy? uh, I got, it's like a white base with an orange and green and then a white fin with a green accent on it. Ooh. And then I have the white skid where Sean, who I bought it from, has the, the had the white skids and white skid pipes. So uh, it should look cool. Yeah, it'll look awesome. Um, so I'm excited to get into that build. I'm starting on that tomorrow night. Um, I got everything laid out on the bench and everything kind of ready to go. And I'm really excited now because I have a set of Futaba HC700 servos that I was going to put in it when I was going to put a CGY in it. And then I was like, oh, I think I'm going to go Neo now. And maybe I'll just have to sell the Futaba servos because it's pointless. But with some news that we're going to talk about in a minute, I'm actually going to keep the Futaba servos because it looks like Neos are going 760, which I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Nine. We'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, um, you spec chasers. If you could all mute your mics and practice your German uh, impressions, that would be great. I'll need them in just a few seconds. <laughs> Scheiße. Um, before all that, we had some uh, minor servo updates here. Uh, Turk Servos announced uh, some updates to their BLS 2208 Black Edition uh, cyclic and tail servos. Um, you know, many of you have known Torque Servos to be in sort of a red and black scheme for many years. And then their full-size servos, they released uh, a set in all black. Um, but they had the sort of brightly colored, you know, orange, red, brown, or black uh, servo leads. So anyway, the newer versions are all black, so it's a black servo lead as well. Uh, and they trim the logo package down a lot. There's way less, you know, there's no model number on the side. It's, it's pretty much just a clean uh, logo. So much simpler graphics package, more black, black wires. Uh, so kind of a fully, you know, clean and simple blacked out servo. All the blacks all over the thing. Yes. <laughs> Um, which I don't know why I care about, but I like that. Um, should make a difference, right? It's under the canopy, but whatever. It's kind of neat, I suppose. Yeah. Um, 
In other news, uh, the Reutertech 420 millimeter blades that we talked about in our last episode are now available for pre-order at your favorite Reutertech blade retailers. Uh, stock is expected to arrive sometime in January. They're already in manufacturing from what I hear. So get your pre-orders in now. And uh, if you got a raw 420 and you bolt this set on, uh, hit us up via email. Let us know uh, how they do. I'm curious uh, if they match the performance claims. Uh, and then, uh, Devin, I hear that uh, Oxy Helicopters is uh, opening up uh, linksheli.com website again and is now open for orders. You got any more info to add there? Yeah. Well, Luca has just recently got back to Vietnam after the, the, this year of a crisis that he's had. It's been really rough this year for him. And he got back to Vietnam and he's like, I feel a lot better. After the whole COVID ordeal, he says he feels a lot better mentally and physically. So he's ready to start, open the website again and get back into a full force of getting Oxy to how it was or, or making more parts again and continuing production on helis that we already have and helis that are coming up. Nice. Sounds awesome. That's certainly going to be good news. Uh, Good movement on the Oxy front. That's great. Glad to hear it. All right, moving into our news of the week, which this week definitely has to go to Mikado for some uh, updates on the much anticipated release of the updated V-Control Touch, now called the Evo, and the updated Neo FBL, also called the Evo. But let's start with the transmitter first. Uh, So the V-Control Touch Evo, is it called the Touch Evo or just V-Control Evo? I feel like the I want to call it the Touch Evo, the but I think it's just V-Control <laughs> Evo. <laughs> and lawsuit. <laughs> <sighs> disappointed Mikado fans already, sorry. Anyway, uh, the new transmitter, uh, which is the same um, physical appearance, essentially, as the old V-Control Touch. So, you know, same touchscreen um, position and, and, you know, similar physical appearance. Um, but it's just got newer, better, faster stuff on the inside. So it's got a faster processor than its predecessor by a lot. Uh, has the same look and feel. It's got more internal storage, a faster Wi-Fi. It's got faster USB data transfer. Um, here's a cool one. It can be charged via any 15-watt USB-C charger you've got laying around the house, which is nice to see. Uh, it has an improved uh, touchscreen display. And in general, it just kind of does everything faster, uh, including processing stick inputs. Um, for now, there's there's no real need to rush out and buy one if you have a current V-Control Touch, but certainly down the road, presumably some new feature sets we may see in the software will only work with the newer uh, Touch Evos. Um, they will be backwards compatible with current Neo FBLs, uh, so no you know need to replace all your FBLs immediately. Um, uh, European pre-orders for the Touch Evo are now open with a ship date of January 2023 if you're in Europe. Uh, U.S. pre-orders will open on January 1st with a ship date of, quote, Q1 2023 once FCC approvals are complete, end quote. Uh, And in case you're feeling cheeky, any European orders with a U.S. shipping address will be canceled by Mikado. Um, Price for this transmitter, and here's some great news, is $12.99 for the basic black and $13.49.99 for the color options, uh, which is awesome. That's either damn close to what the previous price was or exactly the same. So kudos to Mikado for getting an update out without a price increase. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, anybody got some thoughts on the transmitter before we dig into the FBL? Yes, please. I think 
Wow. We all have thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I'll go next. Shut, go up, shut up and take my money. Yeah. Pretty 500 sp- megahertz. It's Holy shit. I don't even care. I just want to touch. I want to touch. That's all. What exactly? Yeah. You can yeah. touch anytime. You want to touch it? One free touchy. <laughs> Only takes one, Devin. Yep. One and done. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm very interested. I'm, I've actually talked to my pops about it and everything, and I, I'm going to end up getting one of those. I'm very interested. Very nice, Mikado Vibar. Mm. I do want to know if there's perfect compatibility with old units. So let's say that I really like my classic aluminum. What did they call that? I mean, they, now they're calling the Touch Classic, which is the old Touch. What do they call the Classic now? Or the new Classic the legacy. that's coming out. Any the Legacy. Now. The I was going to go with ethic. the peasant. The peasant. So I still fly. I still fly with a peasant <laughs> radio. The pleb. <laughs> the pleb. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So V1, you know, turn dial, good, good old aluminum radio. Love that thing. I don't know why. It's just cool. Um, I want to know if it still works with the Evo uh, fly barless. Like, I'm sure you probably can't program it the same or do certain things, but it would be nice if you could still bind to it and run it like a normal Neo. Just in rate mode. <laughs> Just in rate mode. <laughs> that's that's all you get. Rate mode ten hertz. Nice. But even if you like borrow a buddy's touch and set it up and then bind your classic and fly it, like that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I bet you fundamentally they probably work together, don't they? Or do we not oh. know that? We don't know. We that. don't know that. Well, that's the thing. Uh, so they did do sort of a, a mm-hmm. live uh, web stream Q and A uh, last Saturday. Um, for, for a long time. Uh, and that video is available at vstabi.info uh, if you want to watch it. However, a large portion of it is in German, being that Mikado is based in Germany. So there were, there's definitely some English snippets, and we'll talk about what we learned out of some of those. But I, you know, a lot of these larger questions as to specific compatibility between you know newer and older are sort of still up in the air. I started, uh, I started questions. watching it, but I was feeling judged, so I stopped. Judged. You know what would be really cool? Like, we have a lot of listeners. We have international listeners, too. What if someone maybe grabbed that video and translated it a little bit for us people that aren't quite that smart? Yeah, yeah. hook up a voiceover, man. Let's go. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah, or do we have a bilingual person who watched it who wants to come on the show and tell us all about what we missed? Oh, that'd, that'd be, be all sweet. That. They'll probably so, just fuck yeah. with us. <laughs> German Mikado fanboys, come on down. You're the next contestant. Welcome to the Mikado demo. Oh. Yeah, that's it for uh, the new touch. Uh, I think I'm definitely going to be ordering one. Uh, very excited by it, uh, especially because of something we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, so I'm pretty sure this isn't really news related, but that my Futaba 32MZ is going to go out for sale uh, in order to fund this. So anyway, that's a topic for another day. All right, so... The other exciting announcement from Mikado is uh, information on the new uh, FBL, which is the V-Bar Evo. The Vivo? I don't know. We're going to have to come up with some nicknames for these things. Uh, So the V-Bar Evo also features a much faster processor and more memory as well. In fact, Mikado claims, and I think they're right, it has the highest computing power of any FBL on the market currently. Um, it's just got newer hardware, right? And, you know, a lot of these FBLs were using, you know, previous generation of chips and like anything in that industry that, you know, the, the chips are a factor of yeah. a lot faster than the previous generation. Uh, so some interesting additional features 
our uh, full telemetry and operation all the way down to two volts of power. So it definitely can tolerate uh, lower voltages before it browns out, which is awesome. Um, not that it was browning up, you know, early before, but now it gets really low. Um, so it also has, and this one I'm really sure, you know, there's a lot of feature sets that, that you can read on the Mikado site that are, they don't translate well into sort of, I don't want to say layman's terms, but your average hobbyist terms. So some of these I'm a little lost on. Here's one quote, improved high frequency technology for high power and sensitivity. I don't really know what that means. Is that talking about, you know, better reception? I, I don't know. Anyone got any thoughts on that one? No, that's a no. Okay, yeah, so no one else it, has any idea either. It seems <laughs> no like it, it, it's alluding to the frame rate, maybe. A, yeah, I, I mean, didn't see any other separate spec about the frame rate from the radio down to the receiver, and if it supports a super high frame rate, maybe that's what they're talking about. You know, well, well that it does for sure. Uh, it's got a double sensor system using tried and tested technology, as well as some new sensors. Uh, there's a lot more technical specs noted on their website. So definitely check that out. If you're into the nitty gritty and details, um, like I said, I'd love to see this sort of translated by Mikado into a little more hobbyist related, uh, type of format. Uh, the one exciting piece of info, which I'm a little surprised to not see Mikado, you know, bragging about this in the spec list on the website, but it came out in that Q and a is that it will run cyclic servos at 760 pulse. So if you're like me and you got a set of Fataba servos about to go on a logo and you get a new Neo in there, uh, you can run them at 760. So uh, I have not spent a lot of time with Cyclics to 760, so I'm looking forward to getting some more time on those. And we'll definitely be picking uh, at least one of these new Neos up to sort of compare against my olders and then see if there's a noticeable difference. Um, so It'll be interesting. That's, I think, what? So this Mikado uh, fly barless unit is going to be the first... Uh, unit that's out there that runs cyclics at 760. Is that correct? Or is there some other more obscure one that also does that? Or well, is this going to be our first Fourier? No, there's there's definitely quite a few that will run 760. So the Brain will run 760. Uh, the okay. CDY runs 760. Uh, what's the other one? Spirit. So, Thank you, Scott. So it's fairly... Po- okay. It's just now coming to Mikado now is what we're saying. Yes. And, and which Got is it. funny because Mikado swore off of 760. You know, I don't know if they're their articles are still on on their website, but you know, for a while they would sort of had an argument against ever doing you know Stop. cyclics to 760. Uh, but I'm glad to see out. that they've changed their mind. So that's you know, <laughs> no, hey man, we'll you know make decisions in the past and update them as time goes by. So good for them for that. If they listen to this, they're going to be like, huh, and they'll delete it. So shh. Okay, I'll be quiet. Don't tell them they're wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let it happen. There are some other cool little features in here. Uh, they add tally which they actually call tail torque extension for helis with motorized tails. So basically this allows your fly barless to goose the main rotor RPM to help with left rudder demands on motorized tail helicopters. Um, so it's just a little extra processing that, that helps with your left rudder moves uh, for motorized tails. Yeah. Like um, Revo that's sort of come out of the, you know, OMP M2, I believe was the first to sort of introduce that. Um, so they've jumped on, on that bandwagon as well. Uh, the V-Bar Evo is going to be available in Europe in January of 2023 and the USA. Uh, this is going to be just like the V-Control Evo transmitter Q1 of 2023. So hopefully sometime in the first few months of 2023. Here's more good news. The price, $259.99. So, you know, right in line with, um, you know, previous FBLs. I'm assuming 
Uh, I haven't seen pricing for Pro and Rescue, but I'm assuming they're going to be, you know, another similar fifty to sixty dollar bump of each, uh, or along those lines. <clears throat> um, we've also sort of, you know, we keep hearing sort of these new features trickling out, you know, through the Q and A, and you know, other people kind of digging at Mikado to get info. Uh, so it's getting a little bit, you know, hard to tell the difference between truth and rumor on some of these things. So you know, as more details come out between cross compatibility and other things, we'll certainly announce them here on the news. Um, Anyone from Mikado who wants to reach out to us, we'd love to hear more from you uh, about details on these. Uh, but really, I just want to give a big shout out to Mikado for really keeping the price of the new VTouch and the FBL the same as their predecessors. So great job there. I was really afraid it was going to come with an inflated price tag. So good on you. Indeed, I kind of figured it was too. Yeah. But I was prepared to pay it. So there's that. Yeah, And it's upgraded too. <laughs> like it's not like the yeah. same thing, but more money. Like it's a new chip. Faster processing, better performance with the same price. Badass. Yeah. When does that ever happen? I know, right? So I think, you know, we all owe them a big uh, a nod there. And obviously, it's not the cheapest transmitter. And, you know, for those flying, you know, six or $800 transmitters, they can say it's still an overpriced transmitter or whatever, you know, for those that feel that way. But, you know, uh, I'm, I'm shocked. I was really expecting at least a $100 bump. So kudos. Yeah, that shit sounds pretty rad. Yeah, for sure. Cool beans, man. Devin's getting one. Nick, you're getting one. I'm going to get one. Scott's going to get one. How much? Uh, Rob? I am not (laughs) going to get one. (laughs) Any other news? Anybody? No? Going once. Going twice. That's all I got. Done. All right. Actually, I kind of, this topic is timely for me. Well, kind of timely. We're going to talk about uh, motor selection gearing, how to pick your components for your desired head speed. So we're going to kind of start that conversation off by what steps these guys, my steps are pretty easy. I ask somebody that already knows and they tell me what to buy. seems to work and uh, works well for me. But sometimes yeah. you want to actually, you know, get into the weeds and do some math and figure this stuff out. So we're going to talk about how this is achieved. Um, first step, I think most, I think the most common first step, I, 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 there might be others, but, you know, people kind of identify a head speed that they want to fly at. Uh, I kind of know what I like to fly 700s at. 600s at i know i you know so we kind of got to start there and kind of work our way down so we're going to talk a little bit about that how you know how to de- how to determine what head speed is right for you based on your skill level or, or what you're looking to do and then kind of move our way through this conversation who wants to uh who wants to start with this one math sucks math i didn't go to math school dude <laughs> <laughs> I can kick us off here and get us going. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, there are more than one way to do this for sure. And, and we're going to talk through, you know, one method here um, that is fairly simple uh, that involves using um, the Urcha app. We'll talk about that a little bit later, um, but we're going to sort of take you through it step by step. So as Dan said, really, the, the first place that most of us start is to identify a desired head speed for the size of the model. Right. And that's easy when you have experience with a bunch of different sizes. But what do you do if you have no idea? Right. It's your first 550. It's your first 700. 
Um, so there's a few things you can do. You can ask, you know, other modelers at your field. Uh, so if you're in a club, which we highly recommend you join, um, cause it's a great place to get answers like this. Uh, you can ask other modelers if you're flying solo. Uh, there's a lot of great, uh, online videos and forums you can check out. You know, a lot of the pros that post videos will often list the specifications and head speeds they're flying at, and that'll give you a ballpark there. Uh, and then lastly, you know, the, the helicopter manual itself, uh, will often suggest head speed ranges as well, but it gets a little more complicated than that, right? In that the way Scott flies or Devin flies is different than the way I fly, right? So for a 700 size helicopter, I fly at what's considered much lower head speeds. So I, th- I think we're going to break these sizes into kind of a high, mid and low. So I fly at the low head speed range of the spectrum, uh, sport, light, smooth 3d for me. Um, you know, uh, Scott and Devin probably fly towards the higher range on a 700. And I expect Rob is probably somewhere in the middle, Dan, I'm not really sure where you are. So yeah. I'll start with, I'll start on the low end and then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll pass it around and see, you know, where we all like to fly. So on a 700 size helicopter, uh, for low head speed, uh, I'm typically in the 1400 to 1750 range. Uh, I do sometimes go down to 1200, but I, I need to up my skill a little bit more before I'm super comfy down there. Uh, and that's definitely in the in the lower range. So, so Dan, you said you're kind of mid. Yeah. Uh, and I'm Rob. I think you might have chimed in there. What do you consider mid for a 700? Uh, uh, was that me or Rob? Oh. Uh, I don't you own do. one, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. I'd like we'll to catch back up with you. With I like to fly uh, typically around 1950, so somewhere between you know 1800 to 2000. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit north of that at times. But uh, generally, it seems I end up in my comfort area where I'm comfortable is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1950, typically on a 700 and lower. Scott, what about you? Um, so I usually have a range. I mean, most of my 700s are set up for 2300 on the high end. Um, but I'll, I'll usually run a curve that's like a 60, 70, 80 curve. So 60 usually gives me like 1750, 1800 when I want to kind of putt around and do slow stuff. Middle bank is for like more technical stuff. I usually shoot for 2100 and then 23 when I'm going crazy. Nice. Devin, what about you? Um, I'm kind of on the same boat as Scott, just a little bit higher. On, on a 700, the highest I fly for when I'm really just being a down is like 24, 2450. Damn. Um, <laughs> and, and the lowest I usually will end ever go down to is 1800. Right on. So, I mean, the takeaway from that is that, you know, you ask four pilots flying the same size helicopter, you're going to get sort of these three categories of low, mid and high. So we'll, we'll kind of detail those out. Uh, we're going to go through two different examples here when we go through head speeds. Um, one, and we just kind of pick these randomly, the XL Power Nimbus 550, and then we'll do the SAB Raw 700. So you can get kind of just a, a couple of different size ranges here. So while we're talking about head speeds, uh, let's talk about the Nimbus 550. So if you were flying a 500 to 550 size uh, helicopter. Rob, where would your head speeds be on, uh, you've got a 500, right? The, uh, a line, right? Uh, yeah, the T-Rex 500. Yeah. So that's, uh, oh, I don't even know exactly what it, the head speed is set up at on that. I don't have a tack or anything like that, but I think the way I have it geared, it's like probably like 2400, maybe 2200. I don't know. 
mm-hmm. might be low. No, 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 I think, I mean, for me, I fly my Nimbus 550 1900 to 2100, which is definitely on the low range for a 550. Um, flies great at that range. Um, it's a great head speed, especially if you're a beginner as well. You're just doing hovering orientations. You'll get much longer flight time at a lower head speed like that. Uh, what about you, Devin, on a 550 size? Um, well, the, the closest thing I can relate that to is my Oxy 5 Meg, which is a 600. So close, closer, but I tend to run 26 to 3,000. Yeah, Scott, what about you? you like, way over here fucking, <laughs> I'm terrified like, of you now. You're stress <laughs> testing all your parts over there, just <laughs> trying to explode the heli. Damn, dude. Now, I, so when we did the testing for the HF, we, we tested it up to 3,000 RPM, and I just kept it there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're like, ooh, this is fun. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> He liked the way that the tips of the blades started to glow red. That's funny, yeah. though, because the blades are the weak point at that head speed. They're not designed for that at all. But yeah, I bet if you have like a f- snappy cyclic at that head speed, you could probably snap a blade off. Uh, actually, the blades start to after like probably 30 or 40 flights, they start to break internally. Yeah. 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 Start yeah. to crack. Damn. The guys are funkier shitting themselves right now. Um, right. so 550 size, uh, I ran a Oxy five, the regular, not the stretch Meg, and then a 570. And I ran both of those around 27. Um, but then I drop it downwards of like 2000 for slow stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate of run your head speed as slow as possible, but as fast as necessary. So it's based on what you're doing and how you need the helicopter to fly and high head speeds, great and all, but it generates heat. It generates, uh, you know, extra wear and tear and everything. Your batteries don't last very long. So I'm always bumping mine down as low as I can to do what I'm trying to do in flight, you know? Yeah, no, I think yeah, that's a great point. For sure. right? a- any more hex head speed than you need to fly the way you want to fly, like the style and the aggressiveness or whatever is, is wasted, right? If you don't need that extra speed, you're just losing flight time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those crazy head speeds. Hover at 5,000 RPM and just sit there and hover in one spot. Exactly. You're just wasting energy for the sake of wasting it. So like when I run like 20, 23 or 24 on a 700 or 28 on a 550, those are like just beat down flights. Like I want to smack the heli around as hard as I can and just make noise. I, I rarely do that. So I, I try and stay lower head speed. It's more enjoyable. You can work on more control, more precision and stuff. And it, every, all your stuff lasts longer. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. So, you know, hopefully what you're getting out of this is that you know, we're all flying at these big wide spectrum here. So there's no one right answer as to what head speed is right for the size of helicopter. It is something you sort of gain with experience, the understanding of what you like better uh, in terms yeah. of head speed. But certainly if you're on the beginner's, you know, range, you know, you want to be in that mid to low range uh, in these head speeds uh, for hovering and orientations and, and, you know, working your way into sport and some basic three maneuvers, you know, you yeah. don't feel the need to start out trying to match Scott and Devin because, you know, you're just wasting energy there well, i think an important, an important thing to think about too when we're talking about gearing and head speeds and stuff and this is because when i first started it took me a while to understand that the helicopters have a, a kind of a broad range of operatable head speeds and it's not like you can put a pinion on your helicopter and be so out of spec that you're going to destroy it unless you weigh unless you're trying 
you know, to Devon your helicopter up or something like that, you know, <laughs> yeah. Devin it up. yeah, you know, so whatever size helicopter you're looking at, just understand there's going to be a, a few hundred RPMs range worth of head speeds, maybe a thousand RPMs range that you can operate within. Uh, so you don't have to fear that. That was one of those be- beginning, when I was a new, one of those beginning setup things, I was just worried that it, I would put it in the air and there wouldn't be enough or it would be way too much. If you're buying a kit or something, what's in the box will fly just fine, you know? And then as you're building it and learning the math that we're going to be talking about and what to do with different pinions and why you would do that, that's when you will can understand how to kind of br- move around inside that head speed range, right? Um, Nick, you'd mentioned uh, about uh, various places to look for target head speeds. My recommendation would be to start with what's in the manual and try that first, right? And decide, does this feel tamer than I want it to feel? Or is this a little too aggressive? And then you'll know, do I need to cop down into that low range and kind of get some advice from people that fly like that? Or do I need to go, um, you know, buy a welding mask and go buddy box with Devin at 5,000 RPM or what, (laughs) you know? So just remember that, you know, um, because it doesn't have to be more complicated than that, really. No, that's that's very much true. Like, there's nothing that says you can't ask a few trusted individuals and get a solid combo or get it out of the manual and just never worry about any of this stuff. One thing yeah. I noticed, too, especially on the smaller helis, like the 570 size, I never really had this issue on the 700 size. Uh, I, and I, I, don't, I really can't explain it other than on the 570 in particular, I, when I first got back into the hobby, that was the one I was flying. And I, I had to bump the head speed up almost uncomfortably so just to get a good flight characteristic out of it. Now, keep in mind, I was flying at a very low head speed. Uh, oh, yeah, to start with? Yeah, but then I was flying. I'm like, yeah, this, this head speed just not cutting it. I was getting some bad wobbles or, or, or something, you know, on the Goblin. So I had to kind of step out of that comfort zone just to get what I considered a good stable hover essentially and then i kind of then i got used to it and now you know i run that 570 at about 2300 and i I like it at that particular head speed i know some guys like to juice it up a little bit but um that's something you might have to do as well Uh, um it's tough you don't really have a frame of reference as a new person but i do think that it doesn't take a lot of experience to get a feel for what I mean, sometimes like um, you might feel like, holy shit, that thing sounds like it's ready to blow up. And in reality, you know, you've got a lot more, you've got a lot more headroom, right? Um, So yeah, kind of trust your instinct there a little bit. Obviously, Rob's advice following the manual, you can't go wrong. I mean, especially the Goblin manuals. They they pretty much roadmap that shit for you, right? They pretty much tell you exactly what you need for whatever head speed you might want. At the very least, a super safe starting point to feel it out. Right. Yeah. I was trying to feel out a new heli, like you said, too, because, I mean, early on when I started, I didn't mess with pinions and pulleys. I just ran what the kit had, and it kind of worked. And then if I needed more uh, down the road, I'd change it up. But always my recommendation, if it's a new kit, you're not familiar with it, fly it as it comes out of the box, see how you like it, and then move. So if you bought like a Puma or Puma, however you pronounce it, <laughs> You don't, you don't want to run the high head speed like 2300 on a Piuma would a explode and b be a missile through the air 
Yeah. You know, because it's, it's not designed to run that kind of head speed and it's so light, it just would absolutely dart. Um, I've noticed XL power stuff seems to be geared pretty high out of the box. You can get a very decent flight out of it, stock pinion. And SAB stuff seems to be geared more on the conservative side. It's usually a lower head speed. Like out of the box, you're lucky to get 2,200 on the head at, at, you know, bank three kind of thing. So I always fly it, see where I'm at, and then go. And especially with like that 570, that thing is like a special case because out of the box, it's very slow, like you said. And the dampening that they chose and everything is very soft and, and mild. So that one, uh, like you said, it, it feels weird out of the box. You really right. got to kind of crank on it, dial it in, or put those techno dampeners in it. Then it comes alive. And especially with the blades too, because it's such a, a small cord blade. Um, it would. It just seems like it wouldn't dig in very well and it wouldn't move very quick. So you just had to feed it RPM to make it really move like you want. Right. So how do we figure out what head speed we want nick well i think you kind of you know we kind of touched on that earlier um in the sense of again we talked about the manual we've talked about reaching out to other people you know uh we've talked about watching flight videos you know all of those things so so you yeah you get a target head speed as you're going and if you have no clue you can start in that middle range um you know and that's going to be a comfortable starting uh spot here but really the the next step so we've got this head speed number um, selected. And the next thing you want to select before you start looking at motors is really how you want to power this helicopter, right? So, uh, when we talk about powering helicopters with our LiPo batteries, we talk about how many cells is really what the next step, uh, becomes with. And some of these things are really easy, right? Like a, a 500 to 550 size helicopter is typically powered on six cells or six S. Uh, so that's kind of a gimme. Um, but now we're getting some of these sort of newer styles of helicopters, like the Puma that Scott just talked about, which is a really lightweight 700, which can be flown on 6S, 7S, 8S, or 12S, right? It's and and the 580 size helicopters that Goblin's been releasing lately are the same way, right? They're super flexible in the number of cells you can power them with. Now, typically on 6S, they're much tamer. Uh, generally, you would set them up for you know mid to low head speeds on 6S. And then seven and eight, you're in that mid to high head speed range. 12S, you could really be anywhere you want head speed range, but 12S will get you the highest head speed and the most aggressive setup uh, on a 580, 600 size, or 700 size. So I start thinking about, you know, cells uh, as the next step. Does anybody else go somewhere different as the next step once they have a kind of a head speed picked out? No. Um, no, cells is right in line with that, yeah. Yeah, I barely even consider it because I normally run 12 or 6 and that's yep. it. I know yeah. everyone's getting fancy with 8S and 10S and 7S and all that stuff. And I've never done it yet. So I never go there. I'm the same way. I'm 6S or 12S because, you know, my stuff's just set up that way and that's the way my brain works. I'll yeah. get to 7 and 8S at some point. Uh, the interesting thing about 7 and 8S is, is, you know, you can definitely play with that down the road, right? You can sell, you know fly a helicopter for as long as you want. And then if you decide you want to try 7S or 8S, you know, just sell the motor used, put that money towards, you know, the new motor or just change pinions. You know, yeah. we're going to teach you some different ways um, to alter the head speed, whether it's, you know, without changing the motor out, basically, you know, changing your gearing or, or other ways uh, as we go through. So, so yeah. yeah, so generally you would decide how you're going to power your helicopter is the next step. So we know uh, our desired head speed, and then we know how many cells and, and just, you know, again, just to sort of nail it down, some, some ballpark ideas, 500 to 550 size success, uh, 
600 size, 6S or 12S. There's a couple of different camps there. Um, you know, 700s are typically on 12S setups. So can I inter- interject one little caveat about this since no. we're talking about... No, Rob. Six- I was going to say... Oh. <laughs> you did. I, I think that's kind <laughs> okay. of the point of how this whole thing works. So, okay. So if you're getting a helicopter that is one of those ones that you could run more than one cell count type, 6 cell, maybe 12 cell, like Nick, you were talking about the Piuma, you can run a bunch of different cell counts on it and stuff. My advice to you, because this bit me in the ass when I tried this, um, if you're going to do, if you in the future feel like I might want to try something different than six cells, but I'm going to start at six cells, just spring for the HV speed controller right out the gate. It'll run your six cells. And later, when you want to add some cells, you don't have to go rebuy a new speed controller. I had to do the same thing back when I flew the Gowie uh, 550. That is, if a guy wants to know about gearing, that gear mesh or the gear train on that thing is exquisite. There's so many pinions you can change out and intermediary gears. So this conversation, it's like Harvard on that helicopter. But the point is I started with six cell and you could gear it all the way up to eight cells if you wanted to change the gearing to get the right head speed. But I bought a regular three to six cell speed controller. Then I wanted to try eight cell and I had to go spring for a bunch of extra money and batteries. So anyway, just get the HP right away if you're going to do anything higher than six or start at six, you know? No, that's a good point. Like future-proofing some of your electronic components, and we could do a whole episode on that. But, you know, a lot of the cheaper ESCs, you know, top out at 6S. You can't run seven cells or eight cells on them. You know, the next step up in cost is going to be, you know, an HV speed control that can run seven, eight, or potentially all the way up to 12S. Now there are these speed controls that are kind of in the middle that'll do six to eight S. Um without costing as much as the, the 12S uh, ESCs. And same thing can be said for your chargers. Yep. You know, that if you ever want to play with 8S down the road and you're a beginner making these initial decisions at this point, I think it makes sense to, you know, buy a charger that'll go up to 8S uh, for sure. Uh, so good point there, Rob. Yes. So for our two examples that we're going to sort of carry through this thread, let's just quickly decide how many cells those are going to be. So for the Nimbus 550, we're going to keep things light, kind of tame. We're going to set it up more towards someone uh, newer to the hobby. So we're definitely going to go 6S on the 550. I will say there are some folks flying the Nimbus 550 on 7 and 8S, but they're definitely at the Devon range of the spectrum for head speed uh, with the bright red flaming tips on their blades. So, uh, And for our raw 700, we're going to go classic 12S setup, um, which is what most folks do with that. Uh, I do want to touch on one thing quickly here in that we haven't mentioned battery capacity here, meaning how many milliamps um, is the cell, right? So typically on a 12S helicopter, we run 5,000 milliamp packs. Um, and uh, capacity in terms of motor selection and gearing is irrelevant. It doesn't change, right? That math is still the math, whether we run... 5,000 milliamp packs, 6,000 milliamp packs, or 4,000 milliamp packs in our 12S helicopter. Now, what that does start to affect is disc loading, you know, how much weight is hanging from the disc of the helicopter. Um, Flight times, you know, there's trade-offs there as the helicopter gets heavier. Eventually, you're going to start reducing flight time, you know, as you add capacity because it's just so darn heavy, the thing starts to suffer. Um, So those things have to be thought about. Um, Although, if you stay in the safe range of pretty much four to 5,000 milliamps on these packs, you don't have to think about it too much. You start getting heavier than that, higher capacities, and it becomes a thing. Yeah, Nick. Um, coming down to the capacity thing, when how it is a re- kind of irrelevant in that aspect, 
a 12S battery, whether it's a 3300 or a 5000, is, has the same voltage charged and dead, right? Yep. So that, and that's the, that's the number you want to use for your calculations anyway. So exactly. just, just to make it a little more understanding, going off a voltage standpoint rather than capacity. Uh, clarify no, that statement a little bit, Devin. What, do you, uh, what voltage are you talking about? So like a 12S stick pack fully charged is going to be like 22.4 volts, somewhere around that, right? Yeah, 40, like 44 or something. Uh, it's 22, 24, something like that for a fully charged six cell pack. Oh yeah, yeah, fifty. Yeah, yeah. fully charged yeah. is twenty five point five. Dead is twenty two point two. Yeah, so yeah. twelve cells are like fifty so, volts. Yeah, yeah. What you guys said, I fucked that one up. No <laughs> uh, <laughs> wonder all your helicopters' head speeds are so damn high, and you just are like, okay, fuck it, I'm just gonna go with that. <laughs> no, I plan, I plan for that. I do that on purpose. But oh, okay. when it comes to the voltage of the battery, that's how you're calculating your KVs and everything like that. So versus full full charge and a dead charge or nominal voltage, however you want to do it. I was just going to ask you about that. Nominal. nominal voltage. Is that the number we're using for calculations, the nominal voltage? I think it kind of comes up to perf- personal preference at that point. I'll do a, I do a fully charged battery personally, but I, if you did nominal voltage, I don't think it would be that much of a difference. And so clarify for our listeners, um, when of a 6s pack what is nominal voltage of a 6s pack am i putting you on the spot yeah put me what it nominal that of a 6s pack yeah 4.2 volts per cell yeah 22 oh devin did you go to math school did you no no i don't do that 25 (laughs) so what is it what do we decide 25.2 that's the nominal Mm -hmm. voltage yeah, overall, 4.2 per cell, right? Okay. But um, hang on a sec, though. That's not nominal. Nominal is like baseline. You know, 4.2 is fully charged voltage, right? Nominal voltage is when the pack is discharged at 3.8. Don't worry, I'm going to make cell. you guys sound like you know what you're talking about in the edit. So 3.7 is right. nominal. 3.7, yeah, there you go. 3.7 is nominal. I thought it was 22.2. But the point is, that's the number you were asking earlier, Dan, that nominal voltage number is the number that I'll use when I'm doing the math okay. on figuring out what I'm going to use for a motor. So your yeah, head is achievable at the end of the pack as well as the beginning is why you're doing it? Exactly, because then I don't buy a motor that's slightly too small because I did the math with a huge voltage number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're talking about here in terms of nominal voltage is, is you know, you put a fresh pack in, the voltage of the pack is a little bit higher. And throughout the course of the flight, as the pack discharges, that voltage is getting a little lower. So, you know, there are some different approaches as to how you calculate um, your head speeds here because that voltage is changing throughout the duration of the flight. Um, So you can use a couple of different numbers in here to, you know, to do these calculations based on that. So we generally don't do the calculations with the fresh, you know, brand new voltage of the pack um, because it's skewed because at the end of the pack, you just don't have those volts. So, Excellent. Yep. All right. So we've figured out a head speed and a My cell brain count. Hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be put on the spot. You guys laugh at me for writing lots of stuff down and taking lots of notes. This is why, because I get scared off the cuff sometimes. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, so now we can finally start to narrow down our motor choice to an extent. What we're going to do is start experimenting 
and then seeing where values come out. Um, you know, I generally don't, when I pick a motor, say it's going to be this one. I say, I think it's going to be this one. And then I start programming numbers in and I look at the results and then I see what I learned. So, uh, motors are measured, uh, in a couple of different ways. Um, they all have a KV range, uh, and then a stator size. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that down the road, but we're going to talk about KV right now because that's the number most relevant to our calculations. There are a ton of motor choices on the market right now. We are really very fortunate. Uh, you know, the top four or five manufacturers of motors all offer fantastic products. You really can't go wrong with any of them. A lot of us have our preferences, you know, some based on sponsorship, some based on just personal experience. Um, but honestly, you really can't go wrong uh, with any of them. Uh, but but because of this, the, the number of choices can be kind of overwhelming. Like I said, knowing that you can't go wrong. So generally, a lot of us will narrow down a manufacturer because it's just easier to sort of look at the available options from that one manufacturer. Uh, not for any reason that one is necessarily better than another, although we all have our preferences. Anyway, let's start looking at motor KV for our examples. So I'm going to talk about some more general rules again here. So in general, a 6S powered helicopter the KV ranges, KV ranges start at about 1,000 KV. And for a 12S helicopter, like our raw 700 example, they generally start around 500 KV. Now, nothing says you can't vary from these a little bit. You know, I run a 470 KV is what's going in my uh, Logo 700. And you can also go with a 525 or 530 in a 700. So these are approximates, right? They're, they're not individual values. Um, and if you go to your hobby retailer website or a manufacturer's website, they will tell you you can usually narrow it by number, you know, motor selection by number of cells, and you'll be able to see um, all of the various motors that uh, the KV options in that size motor. Right. So we've got a rough KV in mind for each of our examples, um, and now we can actually start doing some calculations. So I want to talk just for a second about stator size, though. So, Scott, can you tell me a little bit about what stator size is and how I know what size uh, in a motor to use for a given helicopter? Yeah. So, the measurements on the can, the first two digits typically are your diameter of your motor, and then the second two digits are going to be the height of your motor. So, <clears throat> when you get a motor that's like a 4525, it's going to be a 45 millimeter stator diameter, and then it's going to be a uh, 25 millimeter height of that stator. And that's why whenever you get those like 4530s, 4535s, the motor diameter is the same, but the can just gets a little taller each time. And typically what you're going to get with that is a little bit more torque just because the stator is larger. It's got more magnets surface area on it. It's got longer windings on it and you can get more torque through that motor essentially. So in the instance of our first example, the Nimbus 550, uh, you know, the specifications on the manual talk about either a 4020 or 4025 uh, are, are the two sizes of motor that generally fit there. How do you know which one to go with if you don't have a good reference? My advice would usually be is if you want to run higher head speed or you, you typically load the helicopter on a regular basis, get the bigger can. Um, it's going to have the ability to pull more watts and it's going to pull, you, you'd be able to dump your battery a little bit quicker in essence, but you can use the power in flight. Whereas if you're a pop and lock style 3D helicopter pilot or you're just doing sport flying, you want to go probably lower because that's going to reduce the weight of your helicopter. It's going to make it respond a little bit better at lower head speed. And it's probably going to be more enjoyable for your style of flying. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. Anybody else got anything to add on uh, Seder size before we move on? Beggars batter. Yes. That yeah, burger batter. Yeah. Here's one thing you got to uh, keep in mind, too, when you're doing your build. Uh, this has also bit me in the ass. That's why I'm bringing it up. Uh, you'll go out there and you'll start shopping and you'll get your standard tunnel vision when you shop for a certain kind of thing. And if you're not careful, you'll end up with this big badass motor and you'll put it in your helicopter and it'll rub on something and you'll be like, fuck, I got to return this because it doesn't fit. So make sure you, because ma- you know you mentioned the stator size, how many millimeters in diameter and the height and all of that. Make a point to make note of that to make sure that the hel- the motor you pick actually fits in your helicopter and it's not rubbing on something or hitting a canopy or whatever, right? Because they're expensive and you don't want to have to rebuy. Yeah, and you can find this information in the manual to the helicopter. You can generally download all manuals as PDFs before you ever get the helicopter. So if you're picking your components ahead of time, uh, most hobby retailers will tell you the recommended motor sizes for any helicopter. And certainly the manufacturer's website will have that information as well. Um, But that information does not affect our calculations for head speed. It just makes sure the motor fits in the helicopter. uh, Most important. All right. So in order to show you kind of the easy way to calculate head speed, uh, we're going to do this with a free app that works on either iPhone or Android's uh, devices um, that is made by Urcha. Um, You can find this app. So if you have an Android phone, you can download the app directly from the Urcha website at urcha.org. You just click on the menu bar at the top and then you click on app download. Uh, If you're an Apple iPhone user, you just search for the word Urcha, I-R-C-H-A, in the App Store, and you can download the free app there. So we're going to do this to sort of make the math easier because I want to make this or, or, you know, we want to make this as easy as possible for everybody here, right? We don't want to. You know, if math scares you, you know, we're going to make this really easy. It's literally just plugging numbers in and sliding some sliders around. Um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know, Devin and, and others, you know, other approaches to doing this, how to do the math by hand, you know, a little bit down the road in this episode. But for now, we're going to we're going to focus on the app here. I found um, it. I'm going to open it, too. It's a great app. I, uh, I use it all the time. I've heard um, good things about it, actually. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, representing EgoDrift, uh, I get a lot of questions about, um, especially because I do a lot of build videos from beginners about, you know, how do I select the right motor? Um, and I send people screenshots of this app constantly. Anytime anybody sends me a motor question, you're going to get two screenshots um, of a high and low head speed range on motor choices with the gearing of your helicopter. So I'm a big fan of the app. I definitely highly recommend it. All right. So we're going to start with our Nimbus example. Um, we're going to set this one up initially for lower head speed for a beginner or sport pilot. And then we're going to play with some changes uh, to the pinion, just kind of kick it up a notch afterwards. Uh, so we're going to start showing you how these relationships work. And this is honestly one of my favorite parts about the app is that it's really easy to say, what happens if I go up or down a tooth on my pinion? What does that do to my head speed? And you can immediately look at the results. Or, okay, that's cool. What if I go from 6S to 7S? Again, immediately see the results. Like, it's really fast to play with these things. And if you're like me, you learn better by seeing and, and sort of playing with things. Um, so it's pretty straightforward. So I'm going to kind of to walk you through uh, how you enter the information about your specific helicopter into the app. So go ahead and open up the app. Click on the interactive head speed calculator at the top. Now, for the Nimbus 550, we're going to program the following values into the app. And all of these I found from the manufacturer's manual. 
So there's a switch you can toggle at the top as to whether there's two gears or four gears in the transmission. We're going to go ahead and toggle that to two because uh, the Nimbus 550 uses a pinion and a main gear. And then we're going to set the motor KV. Uh, for this specific example, we're going to use uh, a motor KV of 1,050. And then no matter what size helicopter I'm doing, no matter whose battery I'm using, I always set the battery to a 30C battery. Now, they give you options for 50, 70, 90, I think, uh, you know, a number of different ones. I always like to do my head speed calculations conservatively. I'd rather be slightly low than slightly high. So I always use the 30C choice, and I find those, those numbers end up pretty realistic. Um, and then we're going to set the number of cells on that slider to six. All right, so the uh, next thing we have to do is to set the gear ratio between the main gear and the motor pinion. So how we do that is we go to the manufacturer's website and we look for the size of the main gear and the size of the stock pinion. Now, sometimes they don't make it as easy on you no, as you'd like. So you have don't. to download the manual and then you download the manual and you can't find it written. So then you have to literally like go find the exploded drawing where you bolt the pinion onto the motor and then read the model number of the pinion. And it always has the number of teeth in the pinion in the model number for everyone I've seen anyway. So yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, you got to do a little detective work to find this out. You'd be a weirdo like me and get a white Sharpie and count no. every 10 teeth and put a dot on there and, <laughs> and count all your dots up and then the leftovers and be like, oh, 146 teeth. All right. Yep. You can definitely do it the old school way and just count the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm lazy, so I'd rather spend an hour digging through PDFs than yeah, counting sure. teeth on a gear. Um, one of the cool things about the Urch app, however, is... If you want, if you actually know the gear ratio, and we'll talk about this a little bit when we get into the raw, you don't have to select two or four gears. You don't have to type the number of teeth. You can just type the gear ratio in that gear ratio box, and that it'll override that and use that ratio for all the calculations. So uh, in the case of the Nimbus 550, it's a 106 tooth main gear. So we'll type that into the box above the larger gear uh, in the illustration there. And then the stock pinion, meaning the, kin the pinion that comes in the kit, because they only give you one typically in most kits with the option to purchase others, is a 12-tooth pinion. So that gives us a gear ratio of 8.83. And you can play with the app, but you can actually just type 8.83 in the gear ratio box and skip all those steps there. Um, now, like I said, there are uh, optional pinions. Typically, most manufacturers will offer at least one size down and one side up. Most manufacturers offer even more than that. Okay, now we've finally done all the setup work and all the boring stuff, so pardon all these numbers flying around. We can actually start looking around at some head speeds, right? So, uh, like I said before, play with some things right here, right? You know, change the number of cells, change the pinion up one, down one. Uh, there's also a throttle percentage slider, and we're going to play with this a lot here, right? So, let's spend a minute talking about that while we're here. So, the throttle percentage slider there is reflecting what percentage is your you know transmitter sending to the esc as a starting point right and we generally will run all our head speed calculations and we're gonna talk about why in a second here uh i start mine no lower than 70 percent and i don't go any higher than 85 percent now why do we do that so uh devon 70 to 85 percent why do we look at head speeds in that range I look at head speeds in that range personally, so I give myself overhead for governor and anything like that. Exactly. So, so what Devin's talking about there is that 
the governor of the helicopter, its job is to maintain the RPM as the load on the helicopter changes, right? So if you're sitting in a hover, there's not a lot of load on the blades. But if you give a ton of positive pitch, the load goes up and the governor goes, oh, my God. And it suddenly puts a bunch more RPM. Uh, well, not more RPM. It, it sends more. What's the word I'm looking for here? Um, it maintains the RPM, you know, by altering, you know, the speed of the motor. Um, right. So your helicopter, as it's suddenly under this big load with this ton of positive pitch, keeps the rotor head at 2000 RPM. Now, if you're flying with your ESC throttle percentage at 100%, there's no more oomph to add, right? You're already at 100%. So the helicopter just bogs or it just goes, it's, it's struggling, you know, because it, it's got nowhere to go. But if your highest head speed is at an 85% throttle, you've got what Devin's calling headroom there, right? And you've got overhead there. So the governor can go to 90, 95% throttle in order to maintain that head speed when it's under a considerable load. Um, now, why don't we generally go below 70, Scott? So below 70, you start run out of the efficiency of the ESC and motor, and you're starting to generate more heat because the way the ESC modulates the speed is it changes the PWM from the ESC to the motor. So when a motor is operating at 100%, it's basically turn on, turning on each of the three phases constantly with each time it fires one of them. So there's not a lot of switching going on in the ESC, and it doesn't have to work very hard to accomplish what it's doing. The lower the percentage you go, the more it's blipping the PWN on, off, on, off, on, off during each of those phases that wipe by in the motor. So the lower percentage you go, the harder that ESC is going to have to run in order to make that motor run. Um, so you're going to have that issue. Um, and I kind of wanted to elaborate on the previous point too, if you got a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. So the reason you want to get down as well to that percentage in the 80 range is because when you go from your peak pack voltage, when it's fully charged to 22.2, your nominal voltage, that's a delta of 88% voltage. So if you were to run at 85%, um, that means you have like a 3% window of throttle, if you would, in order to achieve, um, your target head speed when your pack is dead. So I typically run at maximum 80%. That way when my pack is at 22.2, I have an 8% headroom for throttle when it when it runs. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you you hit that headroom part exact, but you also got to take into account the um the the feeding of the pack when you drop to nominal voltage. And that's why they get that 80 range. Yeah, yeah that's a great you point. You don't as much at the end of the pack, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and this comes down to flight style, too. So Scott flying harder than me has a more conservative top end throttle because he needs more at the end of the pack. Me flying low head speed, slower, smoother, you know, my demands, my load on the on, on the disc is not generally as high. So, you know, I use 85 percent as my top end. But, um, you know, anywhere in that 80 to 85 percent, I think is a great safe place to start. Yep. Um, Dan, how you doing? You still with us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just all waiting right. for you to tell me what esc pinion and motor i need all right that we can do <laughs> i want to know right. what kv it runs when he plugs the wrong leads into the wrong pack very funny <laughs> <laughs> all right so we've plugged all these things into the calculator now we know the throttle ranges we're going to look at so we're going to take that throttle percentage slider and we're going to take it to 70 percent and this is going to be our minimum head speed that we're going to get with our gearing combination. So with the stock gearing on the Nimbus on six cells with a motor KV of 1050, 
we get 1,950 RPM. Now, if you're doing the calculations at home and you go, uh, actually, Nick, it's 1947, I have rounded these numbers slightly to easier to say rounder numbers. So you're right if you're doing the calcs. I'm just making the numbers kind of smoother and easier. So uh, we get approximately 1,950 RPM and at 85%, so this is going to be our maximum RPM that we want to go to with this gearing, uh, we get about 2,400 RPM. Uh, so certainly 1950 to 2400 is a great range for most folks on a 550 size helicopter. So a motor KV of 1050 is an excellent choice. And for reference, um, and we're going to vary manufacturers throughout the episode, but this is an EgoDrift 4025 HT 1050 KV motor uh, used in this example. Um, now, that head speed range is great for an experienced pilot. But maybe you're a beginner and you're just working on orientations or you're, you're like me and you're a fan of kind of lower head speeds and you don't need to get anywhere near 2400. You know, what else can we do using the same motor uh, to slow things down? So let's look and see what happens when we start changing the pinion in this example, right? So if we go to a smaller pinion, so we're going to go down by one tooth. So the stock pinion is a 12 tooth. And if we change the pinion to an 11 tooth, our head speeds now become, and I'm always going to give you 70% to 85%. Uh, our range now goes from 1750 RPM to 2150 RPM at 85%. So that's a great range for, you know, a beginner sort of, you know, fan of lower head speeds uh, as well. So as you can see, you don't necessarily have to change the motor KV to slow your head speed down. You can also change the gearing by changing the size of the pinion. Um, now, is there any difference as, as we start talking about other manufacturers? Sometimes you'll see the word pinion and sometimes you'll see the word pulley. Is there any difference between those two things? Yes, uh, sir. Uh, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, the pinion is gear, gear to gear mesh, but the pulley is for a belt. Like the Goblin 570, the uh, motor has a pulley on it because there's a small, a short belt that goes between that and the next gear stage. But on that gear stage, there is a pinion that meshes with the main gear. So for the purpose of head speed calculations, is there any difference between a pinion and a pulley? No. No. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So you'll hear us use these words interchangeably here when discussing gearing. So obviously, mechanically, there are some differences between the two. Um, but when you're doing your head speed calculations, those words are essentially interchangeable. So if you're using a helicopter that uses a motor pulley instead of a motor pinion, just plug that number into the motor pinion hole in the calculator. All right. So we've tried changing the pinion uh, to change our head speed. Uh, now let's see what happens when we change the motor KV and see what that does to our head speeds. So let's take a look at the Xnova Lightning XTS 4025-1120 KV. So this is the previous motor we were looking at was 1050 KV. This is an 1120 KV and see if we can maybe get this head speed where we want it. So if we plug that motor in on stock gearing, we get a head speed range of 2100 to 2700 RPM. So we're approaching Devon territory here. Um, so for him, that's not quite all the way to 3000. Uh, for some, that's way too much. Um, so 2100 to 2700, all right, we're close, but we're not quite where we want to go. But let's see if we can get this example now uh, closer to where we were on the previous example, just a different way. So let's go down a tooth on the pinion to the 11 again and see what happens. Now we get to 2,000 to 2,400 RPM, which is a fantastic range for a 550 size helicopter for a lot of people. So 
hopefully if everyone followed that, that the takeaways here you know, that I'm hoping we all sort of come away with here is going down in opinion size will reduce your head speed. Going down in KV will reduce your head speed as well. And playing with that relationship while making sure you're maintaining your 70 to 85% throttle percentage is how you can dial in your head speed. Yes. And it's useful too, like the, um, this Goblin 570 that I've got, it's set up at seven cells, right? So if we're doing playing with this app in this kind of thing, right? If I added that extra cell in there, right? And my head speed was a little too high, I could, that would be an opportunity for me to shop around for a pinion that's one tooth less than the, or in my case, pulley, like we said earlier, that's one tooth less uh, to see if I get the right head speed there. And that, that would be the adjustment I made because I added more voltage. I got to reduce, you know, that, that, uh, that speed at the motor there. Yeah. Now here's something else interesting to think about while we're here talking about KV. So we just showed two examples, two different motors, one with a higher KV, one with a lower KV, and we ended up at the same head speed. But Scott, tell us a little more about the differences between those two approaches. <clears throat> yeah. So I was trying to explain uh, at another time that if you run a lower KV motor or a higher KV motor with the same head speed, but you adjust your gearing. So let's say you put a, a bigger pinion on a lower KV motor versus a smaller pinion on a higher KV motor. You run 80%, you'll get the same head speed, right? But there will be a difference in the way it feels. So a lower KV motor at the same head speed, obviously it has thinner winding wire inside the motor, so it can carry more voltage, but less amps for the same output power. So it'll give you a feeling of, of more torque and flight, kind of more grunt, um, more for like a constant loading 3D flight sort of thing. So if you're constantly on the collective throughout the whole flight, lower KV is your answer and gear to your head speed. Where if you're more of a pop and lock, the opposite is true. So a higher KV motor has thicker winding wire. It'll carry less voltage, but it'll be able to carry more amps. Um, and it'll give you a higher RPM, but it will have less torque, less grunt feeling. So pop and lock, um, sport flying, higher head speed kind of stuff that you want. Uh, not a lot of high collective loading. Um, so you will feel a little bit of a difference. The lower KV motor may feel like a larger can size uh, when compared to the higher KV motor, just in an apples and apples comparison. So continuing on that same path, so if you're a beginner or sport pilot, um, which way would you guide them? Lower KV reaching the same head speed or higher KV same head speed? What do you want to accomplish? I mean, I'm, I also like to gear lower KV just because I'd much rather have a bigger pinion. A bigger pinion has more teeth, more engagements. So if something happens, you screw up, you crash, whatever it's that much less likely for you to strip a main gear or strip a, a, a belt uh, because of the teeth engagements that you have just with that bigger, bigger pinion or bigger pulley. Um, but typically, I will tell people just when in doubt, go for a little bit lower KV. I mean, I'm, I'm not an advocate that says head speed is the answer. And I like having um, a helicopter with a little bit more grunt and torque just in case you screw stuff up and you got to dig into the collective a little bit. Let's take a look at the raw 700 now. So we went down the 550 road. Let's go ahead and dig into a 700 size. So a lot of SCB helis use uh, what's called a two-stage transmission, meaning there's more than just a pinion and a main gear or uh, you know a motor pulley uh, and a main gear involved in the drivetrain. Now, how do you suddenly figure this out? Do you need to know the number of teeth in all four of those gears if that's the situation? Uh, here's the, the good news for those of us that fear math. Um, 
SAB is fantastic in their manuals in that they list the actual gear ratio for all available motor pulleys um, slash pinions. They're not pinions, but, you know, interchangeably, we're going to use those words here for calculation purposes. Um, so you can go in the manual. It's usually on the same page with uh, where you're installing the motor into the helicopter. And it'll tell you what the stock pinion is. And for that, usually look at the illustration of where you're bolting it onto the motor and it'll tell you the model number. Um, and then it'll show you all the available pinions for that helicopter or pulleys rather. Um, and it'll tell you what the number of those gear ratios are. And rather than fussing about, you know, programming the individual gear numbers into this calculator, we're just going to type in the gear ratio and the app will do the rest of the work for us. So for this example, here's the numbers you should plug into your calculator. So number of cells is 12 because we're running our 700 on 12S, 30C battery again. Uh, the gear ratio is 10.1. Uh, the stock pulley, if you care, uh, for the raw 700 is a 21 tooth. Um, and then we're going to use for this one a Scorpion 4525-520KV motors for this example. So let's enter 520KV in that field. Uh, so for this, we get a head speed range of 1775 at 70% and 2150 at 85%. So you can see that SAB has picked, you know, a great, uh, you know, stock pulley size for it's going to get a head speed range on a lot of available motors from most of the manufacturers right out of the gate, right? 1750 to 2150 is going to take care of a lot of people on a helicopter this size. Except for Devin, you're out on your own in another world over there. Now, let's say you're like me you want to slow this down and get a little bit more flight time. So we can try the next pulley, or thankfully with SAB, you could even go two tooth down. But we're going to go one tooth down to the 20 tooth, and we're going to use that gear ratio we pulled out of the manual of 10.6. Uh, that'll get us a head speed range of 1690 to 2050. Um, if you're a beginner with a 700, which I know is not super common, but let's say you've got lots of club members helping you. Uh, that's a fantastic head speed range, you know, 1700 RPM all day long. You can do your hovers and orientations and even a bunch of, you know, gentle 3D. Uh, or if you're a sport pilot, that'll more than take care of you. And then again, lowering our head speed is increasing our flight time on a given capacity. Um, but again, we can also slow our head speed another way. Let's try a different motor. We go with a 4525-510 kV. Uh, we get a head speed range on the stock gearing of 1740 to 2100. So again, you know, there's more than one way to dial in the ideal head speed uh, of a helicopter. We can, you know, change the pinion or pulley. We can play with the motor KV. And then less common is a way to sort of dial things in later. You can play with the cell count to an extent. Um, so I think that covers for the most part uh, the sort of stock ways Um but what if we start looking at, uh, actually, let me pause for a second here. Do we have any questions to this point before we get into some less common scenarios? No. Following right along. All right, we're moving right along. So what if we do look at 7 and, and 8 as helicopters, which is territory I'm not super familiar with? Uh, you know, like I said, these are becoming popular choices for anywhere from 550, 600, and super light 700 size helis. Um, how do we do the head speed calculations for those? So really, it's just a matter of plugging that cell count into the calculator and then playing with KVs and pinion sizes. Um, you know, a lot of motor manufacturers are catching on to this trend. You can find, you know, motor KVs in the 800 range. Uh, there are some manufacturers that if you can't find the KV you want, they'll actually wind a custom KV for you, uh, you know, for no extra charge, which is kind of cool. Um, 
So there's lots of options here. Again, if you can't find the KV you want in one manufacturer, you can sometimes look at three or four manufacturers and you'll find there might be some slightly wider choices here. So 7 or 8S doesn't actually change a whole lot in the way we do our calculations. All right, moving on to troubleshooting, right? So we've done our calculations. We got the helicopter in the air. Uh, who wants to talk a little bit about what are the things we might find out not work quite as well as we hoped they would? Like, how do we know if our gearing's wrong? What are some of the symptoms we'll start to see? When you pitch pump and it slams into the ground because you don't have enough head speed. <laughs> that could happen, right? Falls out of the sky. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. man. You can man. smell your motor. Think yeah. You yeah. Smell your motor. Smoking. Watching your cap pop your out of your ESC. Motor yeah. has excessive heat. How do you know if your motor has excessive heat? Like, how long should you be able to hold your hand on a motor after you land? If you uh -huh. can smell it, it's hot. <laughs> you can smell it, it's hot. So most motor manufacturers will post or publish their maximum temperature, operating temps. So Scorpion publishes a higher temp. They they claim that their, their winding material, their bearings and everything, the oil in their bearings, are all designed specifically to run at a higher temperature. And other manufacturers claim different temperatures. So whatever motor you got, look at your temp range. If you really want to get fancy and run a temp gun on it to see if it's too hot, go for it. A lot of guys, though, just touch the can if it's too hot. They go, hmm, maybe I should calm down. So yeah. one Mississippi for all motors, two Mississippi for Scorpion motors. Scorpions, exactly. <laughs> I, I will say a, a cheap temperature gun from Amazon, I, I find, is the most, not accurate, but it's the most reassuring because I feel like my hand is not a very reliable measuring tool. And what I think is too hot, you can sometimes hit it with the gun and be like, oh, and then, you know, compare that to the manufacturer specs or reach out to them and they'll be like, no, that's nowhere close. You're fine. It's close enough. Yeah, true. What about how do you confirm what your RPM is, right? So we did all the calculations. We think in bank one at 70% throttle percentage, we should be seeing 1700 RPM. How do I know if it is? I look at the telemetry. I can literally just spool up and I know I'm expecting an RPM of X and I make sure that what actually shows up is, is close to what I expect it to be. So assuming everything's happy, it's not too hot, we think the RPM, you know, we've confirmed either by feel or by telemetry or by tack that, you know, the RPMs at the ballpark, that's looking good. What about tail gearing while we're on the subject? How do we know if that's right or wrong? And what do we do if we want to change it? I look at the yeah, manufacturer's that's suggestions. That's why I went with a, a different uh, tail pulley on the Kraken. Lower here's speeds. the question i'm excited to hopefully hear an answer from scott or devin or rob or anyone honestly um when do you know if you need to speed up your tail pulley all right so speed up the rotation rate of your tail versus go to a larger tail blade size when it doesn't pull i mean they both they both accomplish kind of the same thing the biggest problem i have whenever i tried to go to like 115 tails on a 700 is if you get the tail close to the ground whatsoever and you're slightly angled to the right on every helicopter except a fury basically because <laughs> they do the backwards tail um you'll you'll clip the tail blades on the ground and you'll start to hit the grass more and stuff and it's real annoying um both really accomplish the same thing though if you want to run 115s or you run 105s with a speed up tail you'll get the same kind of improvement performance I used to just go to 115s on a regular basis because I like to run bigger main blades like 710s, 715s, something like that. Um, but recently, ever since SAB started offering, uh, you know, a smaller, smaller pulley at the rear, 
um, I was able to run smaller tail blades and have that ground clearance. So whenever I do like a sliding auto or something, they don't clip the ground, which is super annoying. I often sort of run longer tail blades and it is annoying about the grass, especially when you're bad at autos like I am. Um, because I run lower head speeds, so I feel like a little more tail authority um, since it's not spinning quite as fast is a good thing. But uh, I never actually tried to speed up a tail. I should. Yeah, I usually yeah, do both too. I usually end up messing with pulleys on the tail. How come? Oh, uh, the stock pulley usually works for a lot of head speeds. It's actually most of the stock pulleys that come in the kits that are just that's what's on it work really well for most head speeds but once you start getting into the real high head speeds that i like to fly you have to think about actually slowing down the tail so that's what i tend to do make sure that the tail rpm isn't through the roof oh that's interesting yeah so when you're at 3000 rpm that's a ridiculous tail speed yeah uh right on that's cool anybody else have any uh other thoughts on head speed calculation and motor selection? We miss anything? I don't think so, dude. I think you co- I think you covered all the things. I think we no. covered all the things. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope that made some sense. I mean, honestly, if it didn't, please feel free to reach out to any of us via email, and we'll walk you through it. Um, I'll tell you. I mean, I, I speak for myself here, but I, I think that the rest of us will probably be aligned here. We're way more interested in empowering you to figure out how to calculate your head speed than just plain doing it for you. Now, that said, if you really want us to do it for you, we will. But I would much rather teach someone how to do this on their own uh, than just do it for them. And then again, if you really don't want to learn how to do this, you can always use tools like Facebook and the forums and find plenty of folks willing to help you suggest motors and pinion combinations and do the calculations for you, uh, you know, depending on what your head speed and flight style are. Um, but if anyone tells you what your head speed should be, um, don't listen to them because they should ask you a few questions first. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for that lesson in head speed and gearing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. No one is allowed to help Dan with this anymore. I already got all the answers, <laughs> dude. <clears throat> I got all the got answers. All the answers. Yeah. All righty, guys. Well, we're going to wrap this one up. We hope you, uh, Learned a few things. That's uh, I, I actually have that app. I couldn't get it to work, so I don't know. That's why. What? I, yeah, it, I couldn't enter. I couldn't enter in um, anything other than a ten-one gear ratio. It just wouldn't. Well, we'll get that fixed. Wouldn't for accept you. it. I was gonna uninstall it and reinstall it and try that, but we got it all figured out. All right, guys, before we move on, though, uh, in this show, let's get some emails. Uh, Nick, if I wanted to get in touch with you, how would I do that? Uh, you can reach me at nickwisdom at rchnv3.com or on Facebook at nickwisdomrc. How about you, Devin? Uh, Devin McClellan on Facebook, or you can email me at devin at rchnv3.com. Scott? Again, physical touch. <laughs> or you can email me at scott at rchnv3.com or find me on Facebook, Scott Graham. I'm Dan. You can reach me at dan at rchnv3.com. Check out our webpage, www.rchnv3.com. Facebook as well. Locals, if you're so inclined. And thank you, by the way, for the support that we are receiving on Locals. It's much appreciated. Rob, how would I get in touch with you? Um. Okay. Well, if you wanted to reach me 
what you would have to do is find a sheep and some clippers and shave your message into the side of the sheep and then uh, somehow try to reinsert that back into the shepherd's herd and then drive down the road where the shepherd is gonna cross the road with the sheep like they always do for hours with all their sheep and then stop there with your dash cam on and let it record your sheep walking by and if you're successful you can get it on like the dashcamclips.com or something like that i kind of like channels like that and i'll see it and i'll recognize it and then i'll try to respond um but if you don't have the patience to do that or if you've already been accosted by a shepherd for doing something else with a sheep <laughs> then you don't want to try it again oh my lord then just email me at rob at rchnv3.com <laughs> or hit me up on uh facebook uh next gen rc fb um or um my instagram next gen rc youtube youtube.com slash next gen rc all right rob you you never fail to amaze me <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we sure right out of my ass. You did what? I said I pulled it right out of my ass. Yes, you did. Oh. I thought you said something else. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, we sure hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it. Have a good week. We'll see you next time. We're see flying helis, <laughs> going down to the beach. You know, we never covered that yeah, KB does not mean killable. Driving the go fly. That's true. Yeah, there's so many people sing a song about mastication. Intoxication. Emasculation. Masturbation. I'm reluctant to have you turn it up more. But it is a little low, and mine's also. Are you, you? I mean, are you in position? You may not be in position. You may be kind of relaxed back. <laughs> I love when you talk <laughs> like that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's in position now. Do we need to do our silence thing? No, I got enough. You do. Okay. Yeah, Devin, you need to do your <laughs> silence thing. Okay. Yeah, for like the next two hours. <laughs> oh wow! Ouch! Did you, did you, Fuck did off. you finally did it? Finally Shut register, up. Devin? Did you? Yeah. Okay. Good. No. <laughs> fuck, fucking shit. Fuck, mother. Fuck, fuck, fuck. These fucking guys. God these damn fu- it. These fucking guys <laughs> with the these fucking plank is fucking guys. These fucking old guys. God damn it.